CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Now. Yes, thank goodness it is Friday, March 22nd, and live from the Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Romano Rundown with the Chicago Sun-Times' Romano Hussein. We welcome our dear friend and budget guru, Emily Miller, and we're talking marijuana legalization and more with Illinois State Rep. Kelly Cassidy. And now your host. Boy, he loves snapping. <laughs> Maybe a little too much. Happy Friday. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this No Vote Friday? <laughs> Question. <laughs> Friday? And here's why. So I watched the mayoral debate yesterday with an old friend. Let's just call her O. Barry. Hi, Barry. <laughs> Barry. If that is your real name. <laughs> and when the debate was over, Barry turned to me and said, I am not voting. I was like, what? Barry? Huh? I was horrified at the thought. You know, because I've always voted. I've been trained to vote. I've never missed an election. I was taught this by my mother, a lifelong New Deal Democrat. Benny, you're going to (laughs) vote. So I always vote. So I said, really? And she explained, no, 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 no. I'll vote, vote, meaning I'll show up to the polls on election day. And then she explained that she's going to vote for treasurer. She loves a mayor and she's going to vote for the local alderman and the aldermanic runoff. She loves Matt Martin. But no, she'll leave the mayor's race vacant on the grounds that neither candidate inspires her. Neither seems that much better than the other. Both Tony and Lori seem about the same. She has no confidence that one will be markedly different than the other. And more to the point. None will be worse than the other. So it's not like, you know, Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump where there's clearly a lesser of two evils. Mm -hmm. It's how do you put it, D? Meh. Isn't that how you put it? Meh. Meh. Where'd you get that, by the way? I don't know. It's just a feeling, right? Meh. Did you get that from uh, Larry David? (laughs) Wasn't that a Larry David thing? I don't know. Meh. (laughs) Larry David. Meh. Back to Barry. Back to Barry. Anyway. The thing is, the more people from either camp try to convince her, it doesn't work. It doesn't change her mind because like one advocate for the other is just about attacking the other one, if you get what I'm saying. So it all just kind of washes out. It all just blends together. And so she says, I'm not going to vote for mayor. And that really blew my mind. I felt like the singer in the song by war, you know, spill the wine. 
it really blew my mind. I felt like I was a, in a Hollywood movie. Hang tight, I millennials. I felt like I was the star of the Hollywood. <laughs> I just had to sing that song. I love that song so much. Anyway, but it did blow my mind. You know, not voting, just sitting it out. Maybe write someone in. You know, they, although they won't count write-ins anyone. That's a disgrace, by the way. We talk about a blow against democracy. In the old days, you could write someone in. You know, you, you go up, you show your vote. You don't want to vote for either. Can you write someone in? What's wrong with that? Bring that back, all right? Anyway. Bring it back. I urge. <laughs> I absolutely urge everyone to show up on April 2nd or even early voting. Make sure you vote. It's a right you have. You got to take advantage of it, folks. But that means even if you end up writing in none of the above. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein. Man, people love Ramana Hussein uh, on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Every Friday, she shows up with the weekly Ramana Rundown. Nice. Okay. We got those t-shirts, D? I'm getting there. Where the- getting there. <laughs> getting there. Where are those Ramana Rundown t-shirts, man? The, the people are holding on. The phone's ringing. All right. We'll get you that Ramana Rundown t-shirt, all right? That's a phone ringing. Uh, Romana will be here at 1.30. And then uh, after Romana, one of my favorite people in all of Illinois politics, the pride and joy of the North Side, State Representative Kelly Cassidy. we got so much to talk about with Casey, starting with Reefer. You know, Kelly is the sponsor of the legalized marijuana bill. I don't know where that is right now. She'll be giving us the, the lowdown, the rundown, and all that, plus all the other political stuff that's going on in the state of Illinois. Man, they are so twisted, these Republicans. That little flyer, I saw my beloved bright one today, that they put out comparing Nazis to Dems. I'll talk to uh, Kelly about that, get her, get her thoughts on how Republicans have lost their freaking minds. And then Emily Miller, budget guru Emily Miller. Emily came on the show all the time. Pick apart the budget, tell you what's there, there, everywhere. On the fair tax proposal by... Uh, uh, Governor Pritzker, Emily Miller now works in the budget department for Governor Pritzker, so we really get down and in, into the weeds. All right, hey, that's a pun. We'll get down in the weeds. Get it? Oh, uh, Kelly Cassidy weed. Uh, and Emily Miller, we're gonna get in the weeds. Oh. All right, but that's metaphorical. We're not really gonna. Wait, be is she bringing weed? <laughs> She's not bringing weed. Uh. Okay, this is the studio smoking in the studio. Put that bog down. So, all right. So, so, so. All right. Anyway, we have so much political talk ahead of us. I cannot wait. Budgets, reefer, politics, politics, politics. Oh, this is a Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show today, buddy. He's loving it. And I, by the way, Jordan Peele's movie opens uh, opened last night. Uh, us, you know, I love Jordan Peele. And so now, yeah. before you go watching Us, you got to watch Brick. I have from to. Ant. I, uh, by the way, uh, ordered Brick. I just want you to tell you. All right. Okay. Ant, do you hear that? He won the contest yesterday for uh, Recommendations, yeah. our new <laughs> segment. And uh, Brick from Ant, that was the movie that won. So you ordered it? I ordered it. It's, it's uh, number one. I moved it up to the queue. Like, there's 30. I flopped nice. it over 30, including a whole TV show that's that's on there. And um, but, uh, what was the other movie? Layer Cake? Yeah. Uh, I hate to break the news, Netflix. You got to up your game. Layer Cake is not currently available. So what they do is they put that on your like reservation list. Oh. I've had movies on my reservation list for like five years. Okay, I, I got a feeling that Netflix is not really working hard to add to their list. You know what I'm saying, man? Anyway, Layer Cake's on the reservation list. Bricks number one in the queue. So as soon as I watch Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, you ever seen Dirty Rotten? Oh yeah, Scoundrels? yeah, yeah. I love I, that movie. I love that movie too. For some reason, I decided to watch it again. I don't know, man. Sometimes I just watch movies. Steve Martin, over. right? 
man. I love that movie. Yeah, get, yeah. Get that, here, give that guy a blue Mustang. Oh, it was Steve Martin you. for 10 trivia points. Who did he star in the movie with? Do not look at your phone. Oh, um. Nope, it's not Oh, um. I don't know. John Lithgow. That's it. Anyway, uh, so that's... Frank Oz was involved in the movie. I know that. Uh, yes. he. I think he directed it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, that's what uh, I'll be doing this weekend. I'll be watching that movie, uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and Brick is Next. Wait, Enough. watch Brick first and then Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh, no, but I, I have to wait. I have to return Dirty okay. Rotten Scoundrels. Right. I'm how just looking Netflix... out for Ant. <laughs> that's how that Netflix thing works. You got to mail it, then it comes back and i'm by the way helping out the post office a lot of good postal workers you know i'm helping them out that's a great point all right very good all right none of that streaming for me i'm still going through the mail yes he's old Uh, all right we got a great show a lot of political talk but before we get to any of it the doctor has the news how's it going guys i just need to test something real quick hang tight okay just wanted to make sure that it can play all right here we go everybody it's the middle of the final day of the week I'm looking at you, weekend. <laughs> Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Our president is rounding out the week by, well, doing what he does best, oh. ramping up the rhetoric. Oh, God. If you recall, already this week, Donald Trump has badmouthed the recently passed Senator John McCain, mm-hmm. and he branded the spouse of his employee and no one's favorite, Kellyanne Conway, George Conway. Yeah, he branded him a loser. And a husband from hell. Yeah. Two updates here. First, Trump uh, Trump's Mueller mind games continue. And people, you can tell it's campaign season because Trump is calling to his base here as the Mueller-Russian collusion investigation draws to a conclusion. And with the growing possibility of the information going public, Trump on Fox News this morning warned us all that people will not stand for it if the Mueller report portrays him badly. <laughs> oh, yeah. People be, I don't know. Well, that means he's doing, just as you says, a very strategic move uh, by Donald Trump. Uh, he is, like, uh, biasing the jury, if you will. He's filling the jury with people who will follow him wherever he leads. And uh, so he is tarnishing the report even before it comes out. I think he's been very effective at that. Uh, it's clear that the Republican Party has signed on to Donald Trump regardless of what Mueller uh, uncovers. The issue, of course, is whether um, the Democrats will be uh, locked solid as opposed to Trump and whether we can move a few more independent-minded people over to, let's say, win Michigan and Wisconsin. Really, Dennis, nothing has changed since 2016 in regards to national politics. Uh, what has changed, and uh, this is uh, very upsetting, is that the Republican Party has thrown away any semblance of objectivity when it comes to Donald Trump. And this is partly why I'm going to get into this with Kelly Cassidy. We'll have to pick her brain on She's very shrewd when it comes to politics. Maybe Romana has some thoughts on this as well. Why does he keep going after John McCain? I think, I'm starting to think it's part of an effort to just demonize everybody in the Republican Party uh, who does not agree with him. Be fearless, absolutely fearless, and just bashing other Republicans and when Republican uh, elected officials see that Donald Trump's support is staying strong among the rank and file, then they'll fall in line. So I think it's a strong man move. I think that's why he continually goes uh, after John McCain, John McCain, even though John McCain, of course, passed on several months ago. All right. In that same Fox interview, Trump weighed in on the somewhat democratically favored Green New Deal. Depends on which Democrats you ask. Uh, that Green New Deal that everyone's talking about. Trump said he hopes the 2020 Democratic candidates keep moving forward with the Green New Deal because it would be, quote, very easy to beat. 
Yeah, well, that's again, he's branding. That's what Donald Trump does. We've talked about this many times. D does it with nicknames for other politicians. And now he's just branding uh, the ideas in the Green New Deal. Socialist, socialist, socialist. That's what he's going to it's going to emanate for for the next. Get ready for that for whatever year or so. Uh, And then the Democrats will have to figure out. And this will be the big discussion we're going to have over the next six, seven, eight, nine months. How far to the left will the Democratic the Democrats go uh, to keep you know their their base together to to keep their leftist, progressive, whatever you want to call it, base solidly backing the Democrats without uh, having the infighting we saw with Hillary and Bernie? How far to the left can they afford to go before they start ailing in the middle? This is a tough political challenge the Democrats are facing. He went on to say that Democrats are a far left party and that they are radicalized. And uh, also, he doubled down on that one comment he made a while back. Democrats are anti-Jewish. When asked about several presidential hopefuls choosing to skip a conference from or for the pro-Israel group APAC, Trump said about Democrats, quote, they are totally anti-Israel. Frankly, I think they're anti-Jewish. Yes, I, Donald Trump is a tripling down on this tactic. The Republicans are picking up on this. They see uh, they are going to attempt to do whatever they can uh, to exploit fear among Jews that somehow or other lefties are turning against Jews, that lefties are anti-Semitic in order to make wedge uh, Jewish voters out away from the Democratic Party. They're really crossing a line of uh, in, of all propriety, in my opinion. There was a story today, Sun-Times, post-comparing Nazis to Dems. Uh, it's in today's Sun-Times, if you want to read it. We're talking about it with Kelly Cassidy. She's quoted uh, in the story. Listen, it's one thing to have Democrats who are critical of the policies of Israel. It's something else to call the Democrats anti-Jewish. Donald Trump is playing with danger here. Uh, he's go- he's exceeding a line, particularly, particularly when he doesn't have the guts to stand up to white supremacists in this country who are exceedingly anti-Semitic. When I see Donald Trump stand up to uh, white supremacists who are anti-Semitic, then I'll believe he really cares about American Jews as opposed to paying politics. All right, and to wrap up the Trump news here, right before he jumped on Air Force One on his way to Mar-a-Lago, Trump did one of those stupid interviews where the <laughs> planes blasted. Uh, but he spoke once again on the Mueller investigation right before his trip to Mar- Mar- uh, Mar-a-Lago. It's just a continuation of the same witch hunt. They know it, and behind closed doors, they laugh at it. Uh, it's just a continuation of the same nonsense. Everybody knows. They ought to go to work, get infrastructure done, and get a lot of other things done instead of wasting everybody's time. Uh, there was no collusion. There was no obstruction. <laughs> no Everybody collusion. knows it. It's all a big hoax. It's, I call it the witch hunt. It's all a big hoax. So we'll see what happens. I know that the attorney general, highly respected, ultimately will make a decision. Wow. Where do we start to unpack that one? First of all, work on infrastructure. Donald Trump, you're the president of the United States. You control the Senate. You control the House as well. You could put an infrastructure bill out anytime you want. You haven't done it. You're not interested in the basics of running a government. The only significant legislation that you have pushed through, and it's... Uh, <laughs> It's detrimental, I think, to the long-term interests of this country was a tax bill that gave enormous breaks to the wealthiest people. So that's it. You've done nothing in regards to promoting an agenda that would help anybody, including an infrastructure bill. 
So for you to pretend as though, oh, we can't get an infrastructure bill because the Democrats are too busy pursuing an investigation into whether you colluded with the Russians to snatch that election from Hillary Clinton. By the way, somebody broke into those computers, everybody. Somebody broke into those computers, those Democratic computers. So anyway, I see through the games you're playing, Donald John Trump. And by the way, man, what, every day is he getting on an airplane? I mean, what? He was on an airplane yesterday, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's on Air, air so, Force One, man. It's just, just what do they just, he gets, does he actually go anywhere? He stands outside, I understand he stands outside the airplane, you hear the engine, so he's there, he can like give out his sentiments for the day, his message of the day without really taking a question. I can't hear you. Huh? I can't. You sound like Rob. <laughs> Ma! Oh, Ray Romano? Ray, Ray Romano. Ma! Ma! Yeah, it sounds like Ray Romano. I love Ray Romano. Uh, anyway, by the way, Ray Romano has a new show. Did you know that? Oh, no, I did not. Oh, no, Netflix. Anyway, um, so, yeah, he does this little stunt. I, I don't really think he actually goes anywhere. I think he just stands outside. No, he went to Ohio last time. Oh, then oh, then he comes home. Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ohio. So, wonder where, oh, and he's going to Florida today. All right. Every day he goes somewhere else. He's President ah, Donald Trump. He's president. He's going, all right. Okay. Got places to be. All right. Yeah. That'd be like me having a press conference outside the blue line. That's where I go. That's my quote. Oh. Okay. I'm going to have some. Uh, the train's going by. The guy's playing the guitar over there. There's a guy with the drums over there. Can't hear at you, but I'm just going to say right now, love the balls no time for questions got to get on oh, the it train. sounds like that uh, that would be a jackson the, the stop jackson where you're talking yes. about all uh, the instruments yes that's correct all right Very now good. of course we will keep you posted on those stories as today's program rolls along mm-hmm. oh shout out to frank uh ben you're wrong oh. <laughs> hey frank what's up dude thanks for what, live streaming and listening here what else is uh, new? frank says and i thought you were wrong about this i'm glad frank uh you know confirmed it it says dirty rotten scoundrels stars steve martin and michael kane the oh, bro- you're right. John Lithgow starred in the Broadway musical version. You're of the right. Movie. You know what? Then he's a Broadway man. You know, <laughs> you know what? Uh, could you send Frank uh, a blue Mustang? For no, we're not doing right? that. I'm not doing it. But you're right. And you know what? To quote Jack Nicholson, when you're right, you're right. So thank you, Frank. <laughs> All right. Now, Benny J, quick question uh-huh. here for the fourth and final time this week. Oh, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, oh, yeah four. No mm-hmm. show on Monday. Okay. You ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois? Young man, I was born ready. Love that answer. <laughs> Fantastic answer. Because coming up after this short little break, people, we are going to find out what else is news. I can't wait because you know this is that part of the day where the doctor plucks that little trick out from his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. Nick Offerman, go. Hi, this is Nick Offerman. I'm taking my show on the road and subjugating an audience to my humor. All rise. American humorist Nick Offerman is coming September 15th on stage at the Chicago Theater. It's an evening of deliberative talking and light dance that will compel you to chuckle while enjoining you to brandish a better side of humanity than the one to which we have grown accustomed. Reserved seats are on sale noon Friday, March 22nd at the box office or at Ticketmaster.com. Don't miss Nick Offerman live. Noon Friday, (laughs) that's today, guys. The Nick Offerman tickets went on sale today. And great job on that read, by the way, Ben. Did I tell you I went to radio school? Oh, my goodness. No, you didn't. What are these things on our head? Uh, buckets? Nah, they're called cans. You're oh. embarrassing us. Come on. Stop What's embarrassing the buckets? us. There's nothing that has to do with buckets on uh, the radio. I thought there was a bucket thing. No, there's the pot. You ride the pot. Oh, yeah. That's the, you know, the little... And then cans. But anyway, cans, uh, welcome back, everybody. It's time to... Uh, <laughs> It's time to find out what's going on locally. All right. All right. It is time for what else is news. Mm. And people, the magic number is 11. 
That's right. <laughs> 11 days until our uh, Chicago runoff elections. And well, let's give me one second here. Okay, there we go. And uh, yeah, so we're 11 days away from the runoff mm-hmm. elections, 11 days away from the Chicago mayoral runoff election. Uh-huh. Absolutely here. And uh, between our Cook County Board president and apparent lover of Chance the Rapper's music, <laughs> Tony Preckwinkle. And former prosecutor, uh, former Chicago Police Board president. And if you head over to the dumpster outsider place now, you may find a collection of Chance the Rapper memorabilia in there. Lori Lightfoot, we took an uber deep dive into Wednesday's debate on ABC7 Chicago on yesterday's program. And while we got our fair share of talk about change. Well, I actually think it's change versus the status quo. Well, you know, my whole career has been about change. We have an opportunity to break from that past and bring real meaningful change. And change is action and results, not simply words. It's not just the desire for change. Change is difficult. Change, 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 change. <laughs> a lot of change. Uh, yeah, that uh, chains. My baby's got me. No oh, that's chains, not change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're doing pretty well with the listeners. Okay. Please, let's keep them around. Stop singing. <laughs> All right. So while we got our fair share of talk about change, uh, yeah, we got another debate to talk about. By the way, yeah, guys, three right. debates in one week. Ooh, afraid so. Yeah. Good God. But thanks to Wednesday's debate, we got a better understanding of the candidate's stance on issues like homelessness in the Chicago business community. Uh, a somewhat learned forum presented by ABC7. But today we're going to play just a few of the highlights from WTTW's debate last night. And while also informative, this WTTW debate was a little more heated, all right? Mm. But before we get into that, we got a little state news to talk about. All right. For all those in Illinois itching to delete their weed dealer from their phones and finally <laughs> go buy it legally at a store, yeah. well, you and I yeah. may have to look like a shady weirdo in an alley for a little longer because a majority of the Illinois House of Representatives has indicated its support of a resolution to slow down oh, yeah, legalization slow down. of okay. recreational marijuana oh, yeah. in the state. 60 yeah. of the 180 18 members of the House have signed on as co-sponsors of a resolution to slow cannabis slow. Le- <laughs> to slow cannabis legalization. <laughs> Half of them are high when they're doing it. Oh, God, God. <laughs> to give more time to consider the social oh, impact of, of and data from other states. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a bunch of frauds. We got Kelly Cassidy coming in here talking about this uh, in about a half an hour or so. Listen, guys, this we've been going so slow on legalizing reefer. I mean, I don't know how we could go any slower. It's like a glacier coming down a mountain. It's funny you say that, because if you were to ask Illinois State Rep, chief sponsor of recreational marijuana legalization in Illinois, and let us not forget, like Ben said, two o'clock guest of today's Ben Jarofsky show, Kelly Cassidy, she would tell you, slow it down. Dudes, this process (laughs) has been the slow boat to China. When interviewed about the latest news, Cassidy said, quote, there's nothing rushed about this at all and pointed to years of debate with four public hearings, Uh, 11 town hall meetings and more than 100 stakeholder meetings. Come on, guys. You know, you're I don't know who you're imposturing to the hypocrisy regarding marijuana in our society, not just state of Illinois throughout the the country. It's just mind blowing. No pun intended. I mean, Lord, everybody smoked the stuff. Or been in a room where it smoked, or you know, has friends and family that smoke it. You act like, oh, we don't know anything about it. It's so new, it's scary. We gotta go slow. And then you always throw the kids out there. You know, well, we don't want the children taking it. Then put rules in that they can't take it. Well, then there's a chance that more will take it if you legalize it. Oh, like alcohol, cigarettes, gambling. 
I mean, like they, the way we pick and choose our vices in this country, D, I, I don't quite understand. There's like the favorite vices that are okay, politically correct vices, and then there's like the evil vices. And I guess Ooh. marijuana is still an evil vice, even like I don't know how many people, thousands, millions, gazillions of people do it every day. All right, so once again, a big uh, interview here today. Two o'clock, Kelly Cassidy. She's going to be talking more about this. Kelly Casey. The legalization of marijuana in Illinois. All right, now to last night's debate. The third one this week. You guys getting sick of this yet? I love debates. You waiting for April 3rd? Us too. Uh, Last night's debate was once again hosted by WTTW. Shout out to them for the audio we're going to play. Uh, last night's debate started off with something that our host, Ben Jarofsky, has experienced quite a few times when interviewing Tony Preckwinkle. Oh, yeah. And WTTW uh, got a taste of it last night as well. And that is her constant evading of questions. <laughs> When Tony, pre- Tony, when, Tony, Tony. When pressed by Phil yeah. Ponce yeah. on why the Preckwinkle campaign recently pulled all of their television ads. Uh, well, let's see if Ponce can get the answer here as to why she did that. Phil Ponce, best of luck, buddy. You, it has been reported that you've stopped running TV ads. How come? You know, this has been a really good day. I'm grateful for the support that I received from Chance this morning. Not only is he a great artist, but he's also a person who has a, a, a long history of civic engagement, and he's a community activist. And when he spoke today, he talked about my concern for educational equity and criminal justice reform as several of the reasons that he supported me. Uh, yes, but the question was... Strike one! Steve, why did you pull the ads, right? All right, well, let's see if he uh, can get it in the second try. Phil Ponce, man, come on, do this! Uh Uh-oh. Really, those are the topics that one had to have in television ads. Uh, you pulled them. Uh, how come? Well, let me let me talk too about the support <laughs> we received earlier in this week Damn. from Congressman Danny Davis, Sorry, from uh, Alderman Walter Burnett, from Alderman Jason Irvin. You know, I think our campaign is building momentum, and we have a broad coalition, and there'll be more endorsements that'll be coming this weekend. We're working hard to secure the votes of every single citizen in Chicago. All right, strike two. <laughs> okay. Is there a third one? Does he try a third time? Third time's a charm. Phil Ponce, let's get the answer. Come on, here we go. Okay, uh, good opening statement, even though one wasn't expected. Uh, But as to the issue of TV ads, what's going on? Typically, candidates, once they start running ads, they don't pull them. You know, TV ads aren't all there are to campaigns, and we're working hard to meet voters at their doors and in their homes to talk to them about the important issues in this campaign and to seek their support. Connecting with the voters at their doors and in their homes is critically important in an election that's going to be pretty low turnout. Some people might say, uh, some people might say that you've pulled your ads. That there are several reasons why one might pull an pull their ads. Number one. you think you're losing and you don't want to go into debt going into uh, your next phase in, uh, in public service. Number two, you're out of money. Uh, number three, maybe you're spending it on the Internet or so forth. We're working hard to secure the votes of every single Chicagoan, and we're making personal connections with people which we think will result in victory. Nice work, Ponce. Yeah, uh, <laughs> take take notes, Ben. You got an answer. <laughs> Took him three times. Okay. You know, first of all, my humble opinion, I'm going to give some advice to Tony Prickwinkle, which knowing Tony Prickwinkle, she will not take, and I don't blame her. Uh, just answer the question straight up. You know, it's just straight. The, the last part uh, was probably uh, the, the, the most... Uh, 
closest to an answer, which is where you say, you know, there's other things you could do besides airing uh, campaign ads. Did you know that, Phil? Huh? And then just deal with that one. Uh, I doubt very much that she is going to uh, openly say, oh, yeah, I'm broke, Phil. I got no money and uh, pretty much just running out the string until April 2nd. So thanks for making me feel miserable. Which, <laughs> by the way, I would have really appreciated that as an answer. Now, you've been down that road before. How many oh times God. has it taken you to get an answer uh, from Tony? Oh, well, God, when we were at the hideout uh, with my uh, dear friend, McDumkey, uh, we had Tony on. I think it was in October. Um, we, I asked her three times, why didn't she run in 2014 against Rahm Emanuel? I still think she's filibustering on that answer as we speak. So, hey, Tony Preckwinkle got far in politics by doing it her way. She's the president of the Cook County Board. She's a, a nominee. She made the runoff for uh, mayor. She's a very powerful person in the city of Chicago, chair of the Democratic Party, and she's always done it her way. And that means when a Nettleson reporter asks her a question that she doesn't want to answer, guess what? She doesn't answer it. So that's Tony Preckwinkle. All right, we got two more clips to play here. Uh, when talking endorsements, Preckwinkle mentioned how, unlike the Lightfoot campaign, Preckwinkle has received endorsements from Trump supporters. Uh, you know, I haven't been endorsed by anybody who's uh, been a supporter of Donald Trump, as, as my opponent has, uh, Alderman Spazzato and Alderman Napolitano. You know, I'm proud of the support that I've received. Uh, the, uh, the issue of your supporters, some of your supporters being backers of the president? Well, as President Preckwinkle knows, the truth is both of those individuals are members of the firefighters union that did endorse me. Neither of them individually endorsed me in their official capacity. But look, I think the thing that's most important is the endorsement of the voters. What we have seen, particularly since February 26, is a groundswell of support for my campaign and my candidacy because I stand in stark contrast to the president as somebody who is a Democrat, who's independent, focused on reform, and really bringing fundamental change to our city that's what they call a pivot everybody that is a classic debate pivot the question was put right to her by phil ponce uh is are you you know does this say something bad about you because you have these two prominent chicago politicians who voted for trump for you and she goes well they didn't really support me it was the firefighters their union that did it by the way did i tell you that would really counsel the people of the state of illinois the people of the city of chicago they vote great pivot by Lori Lightfoot. She's learning the game. Well, she's a lawyer, so she's probably been arguing with people for, what, her whole entire professional life. And then uh, Romana Hussein, my next guest, knows this, that if you become a lawyer, that's not the start of your arguing. You probably became a lawyer because you were so good at arguing and you spent your whole life arguing like with your brother, your mother, your sister, your aunt, etc., etc. So, All right, it was, and it's the uh, final clip we're going to play here, and it's the clip the media's running with today. Uh, the time when Lori Lightfoot mentioned that uh, she's donated to Tony Preckwinkle before. Oh, I love this. Preckwinkle, I'm really surprised that you keep going down this path. You've taken $19,000 from my partners, $1,000 from me. If we're so offensive and the work that we do, we've done offends your sensibilities. Excuse me, you've donated to her? Absolutely. She called me up and asked me for a donation. I wrote her a $1,000 check. What was if that? You're so, pardon me? What was that? That was last year. And if you're so offended by that, give the money back. Give it back. I'll give I you the address. I tell you 71 what. 71 South Atlanta. I tell you 60604. what. 60604. Oh, come on. Give Lori credit. The fact of the matter is, and this gets back to how Tony uh, Tony's attacking her for getting the uh, nomination. 
in politics, everybody knows, Ramon Hussein, my next guest, knows it. Uh, it's all about addition. When you're trying to win, you get as much support as you can. You pick it. Sometimes you cross a line. Maybe there's some support support that you don't want. Like, you wouldn't want David Duke's support, who the head of the KKK, although Donald Trump hasn't turned it down yet. We'll be talking about that with Romana in the next next segment. But um, so there's obviously some lines that you, you, you cannot uh, allow to be crossed, but uh, uh, Alderman in the city of Chicago, I'm sure that Tony Preckwinkle would have taken their endorsement. Tony Preckwinkle took campaign contributions from Lori Lightfoot. She was not the, the epitome of corporate Republican devilry, which is what she's, they're trying to depict her as back then. That's the game of politics. You try to do it through addition. And uh, so there is a certain amount of hypocrisy going on on all sides where they try to uh, blemish somebody by virtue of the support that they have. So there you are. You're now in the know of what's going on in Illinois and Chicago. You, it has been reported that you've stopped running TV ads. How come? You know, this has been a really good day. <laughs> uh, and now you'll have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right, let me tell you something. Okay. Tell, something that our next guest, uh, our guest in the 2 o'clock hour, I should say, Kelly uh, Cassidy believes. Something that Kelly Ann Conway also believes. Oh, really? And something that Tim Conway from the Carol Burnett show. Are you kidding me? Do you know Tim Conway? <laughs> yeah. Love Tim Conway. But not as much as I love Carol Burnett. I love Carol Burnett. They all agree you did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We've got Ramana Hussein with the Ramana Rundown right on deck. We'll be right back after this. Hey there. Producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. If you would like to advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization, and quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp, that's C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, The Chicago Reader, and The Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. 
Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show this segment of the show has quickly become the mo- one of the mo- our most popular ramana hussein editor from the chicago sun times we call it the ramana rundown we have t-shirts uh that say ramana rundown. i forgot to wear mine today <laughs> uh, i don't even have one that <laughs> we're gonna get those t-shirts ramana any day now all right uh, so uh, the Ramana Rundown, what are the, some of the uh, big stories of the week we should be talking about, some of the big issues? Uh, but at the top of the list, let's give a little shout out to our brothers and sisters at the Chicago Sun-Times. We've got a great uh, profile series coming up. Talk about that a little bit. Ramana. Yeah, um, it's actually, it was in today's paper and they're both online. It's in... I believe it's in today's paper, or maybe it's Sunday. It's Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, paper. I forgot. I forgot. Home Sometimes. subscribers get the Friday newspaper. I know, you know, but our newspaper guy has been really slow. He like right before we leave, he delivers them like at eight thirty. So really, yeah. Man, so that sucks. I, it, it's really weird. Um, so we've been getting our paper really, really late. I'm like, are we supposed to be eating our breakfast while we read the paper? <laughs> but um, so our delivery guy's been. Yeah. We, that's actually kind of a, something we've been talking about at home. We're like, do we call? I don't want to complain. It's a hard job, but it's like our paper's getting later and later every day. So we usually get it pretty late. So um, I I always forget that we do put pretty important stories. On, post them on friday so i did read both of the profiles um and they're just really interesting because you know they're talking about like a lot of personal things um with Lori um lightfoot and tony preckwinkle and i thought there was a lot of interesting tidbits for me like i liked all the parts that were more personal rather than political um tony preckwinkle apparently likes makes makes really good macaroni and cheese um, <laughs> that's a reason to vote for a rat. Love macaroni and cheese. Do you Lord, like macaroni and cheese? I, I love macaroni and cheese. Oh, God. I love the really cheesier, chewy. the better. Yeah, oh, I, I, I like it a lot. Um, and uh, you know, she, they both grew up in these uh, Midwestern towns that were predominantly white, which I thought was pretty interesting. And, you know, they kind of were their own, the only, you know, one of the few black people in the school. So I thought it was very interesting. And they're obviously very talented from the get-go. They were, you know... Um, Lori Lightfoot, you have to look at this one picture of her. She was on the school council. I think she was the president. But she basically that has this picture where they in the yearbook where they all dressed up like cowboys and you just got to look at the picture. It's so like 19, you know, it's 1980, but you know, the 70s are still lingering there. And then she also ran in a pageant, which I thought was very interesting. It was a mostly white country club. And, you know, everybody said she should have been the winner, but she didn't. They said because she was black. That was mm-hmm. one of the reasons. So I thought the story I like the human, you know, they obviously talk about how they got interested in politics but the humane parts are really interesting. I had, you know, Lori Lightfoot had mentioned her brother who went to prison and she talked about that and she just said how she came home one Christmas and there was no Christmas decorations and it turned out her brother, who was also a pimp, and she, you know, at some point had went into a bank and robbed it and shot someone. And so we talked about how she talked about how her family was deciding to put up the house the mortgage up for his bail and he told his family that you know if i if you if i do make bail i'm gonna run and she kind of convinced her parents don't 
give up your house and so I, I thought that was an interesting part and at one port point in the profile with Lori Lightfoot she actually starts crying when she's talking about her father I thought this was kind of interesting you know they they I think the story um describes Lori Lightfoot as stoic and there's a couple two people who um describe Tony Preckwinkle as a school marm so I you know so like they just said she's very serious but they said they also have this like you know side and they are very serious from Mm -hmm. what we know but I I I do like the the fact that you know our reporters had taken the time and to speak with them and who they were I I knew Tony Preckwinkle had a son but I had no idea she she had a daughter and she's staying with her daughter right now while her Hyde Park condo is being rehabbed so I like that and and you got to look at the online story they have like a lot of pictures and it's it's kind of cool to look at these pictures of these women when they're really young and obviously they were kind of gonna you know they kind of had their foot in the right path you know at a really really young age well uh for a special bonus feature that after today's show uh we're going to record an interview with uh lauren fitzpatrick and mark brown who are two of the Mm -hmm. authors and we'll be getting into more of the details talking about uh you know, uh, some of the, th- the things that they discovered about these two candidates. Uh, just hearing what you're saying, uh, Ramon, I haven't had an opportunity yet to read it mm-hmm. uh, because I read the Sun-Times. Yeah. It comes <laughs> home delivered, but uh, I'll uh, go on the internet. I'm capable of doing that. Uh, well, you know, Tony Preckwinkle actually describes herself as being, um, that's part towards the end of the story. She doesn't use the internet. She doesn't have email. I think she uses the internet, but not really. She calls herself a Luddite. I think that's how you pronounce it. She's, yeah, Luddite, she, yeah. And so she said that she's very proud and she said she's able to survive without having an email address so that that was pretty interesting too yeah no and uh it seems as like like you said they're humanizing them uh there's been such an effort by each camp to dehumanize the other one and, and yeah. to uh, characterize them uh, particularly the Preckwinkle people have turned uh Lori Lightfoot into this caricature of a heartless corporate lawyer republican um, who loves police? And I get a, it seems like I get a call every other hour from some someone on that uh, in that score singing that song, and it seems like there's a different side to her. Uh, I, well, yeah, I don't even know if that other side exists, but uh. well, I think uh, this is just my, you know. I'm I'm not an expert like you are, but um, I'm not going on a limb here. <laughs> I. Lori Lightfoot has a lot of support from white liberals and white liberals tend to hate people who are rich. I kind of feel like even the white liberals who are rich, like being rich is such a horrible thing. And I was actually talking to Mick the other day, my husband, about how how um, how like in the in many minority communities, that's, you know, to see yourself like, you know, actually be successful is not a bad thing Mm -hmm. so when people just say corporate you know lawyer i think that's you know makes liberals real white liberals really angry they just hear that and they're like oh she's a rich corporate lawyer and then everybody just gets mad and i know we talked about this it might not necessarily be a bad thing for a lot of people let me just uh make a clarification (laughs) on your distinction (laughs) i'm not sure you're talking about white liberals this is one of my favorite topics oh i can talk about white liberals liberals, all day i know white but white liberals a lot of white liberals are rich oh i know they live along the lakefront so they wouldn't have any problem i think that when the the is it a even a dog whistle when the the preckwinkle people talk about how she's a corporate lawyer yeah i think they're trying to convince somebody who would never in a million years no even if they are of the caucasian persuasion (laughs) but don't you think i mean identify themselves as a liberal i I feel like every time i look on the internet there's a white liberal talking about her being you know pro-police and that kind of goes along with the whole corporate thing 
I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, obviously a lot of white liberals have money. I mean, no, I'm just but, saying that those people who are saying those things, you're absolutely correct, would not identify themselves as liberal. Yeah, Do you true, feel true. No, no, I see so, what you're saying. Yeah, I, no. You're really saying like <laughs> progressives or... Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess, but they... But they wouldn't call themselves liberal. No, I, nobody I mean, calls. Them, I, I'm the only one who calls myself a liberal I, anymore because I'm like 90. <laughs> I well, I guess I should say white progressives. They definitely yeah. have a certain viewpoint of things, and you know, you just hear corporate. If you say anything corporate, it just makes the smoke come out of their ears. Well, I think so. It, I think it's an interesting strategy for sure from Tony Preckwinkle's office, and I think that's what they want to, because you know, Lori Lightfoot identifies as you know her whole platform is i'm a progressive and so i think tony preckwinkle is just taking a hammer to that and just keep chipping away every time they come on tv for a debate i think that's the strategy they're going to try to use in these last few days yeah and uh lori pounces on this point uh every time it's raised in you know she's had to deal with this so many times she dealt with it with making myself at the hideout yeah phil ponce last night when she was in the studio last week she loves it when someone says, so Lori, they call you a corporate lawyer. And then she just has this, and frankly, and frankly, I'm insulted by that. I'm a, you know. And she talks about, hey, I'm successful. Is that a bad thing? And I think then, you know, Tony Preckwinkle's camp, they go, well, you backed all these people like tobacco companies and all these people who a lot of people see as evil or these corporations as people see as evil. But, you know, so I think I just think it's it's a very interesting back and forth that we've seen the last few days yeah. for sure. Um, all right. Do you have a, a tape to play? I would love to get Romana's reaction to uh, do you have the chance thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when uh, Ponce was trying to get the answer to why she pulled her ads, we got some information that uh, on uh, Chance the Rapper's endorsement of Tony Preckwinkle. Hey, turns out she's a big fan. You, it has been reported that you've stopped running TV ads. How come? You know, this has been a really good day. I'm grateful for the support that I received from Chance this morning. Not only is he a great artist, but he's also a person who has a, a, a long history of civic engagement, and he's a community activist. And when he spoke today, he talked about my concern for educational equity and criminal justice reform as several of the reasons that he supported me. All right, there's Tony uh, singing out her praise of chance. Uh, Romana's saying the tough question's coming to you. Do you think Tony Prococo can identify one song by Chance the Rapper? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think I can. I probably can hear a song and I'll be like, oh, okay. I've actually saw him. I went to Lollapalooza one year with my um, niece. I think my nephew went to my oldest niece and my oldest nephew we went one year and what i think we saw a chance to rap. you are you took yeah. your niece to Lollapalooza? I, I took her actually the first time i took her was for her 16th birthday and my older sister's like i don't want her going alone so she went with us and we did that for a couple of years and then a couple of years ago my niece was like i'm too old for this and she was like barely 20 at the time whoa so, you outgrow up Lollapalooza? yeah <laughs> i did not know that uh, but um yeah she told me like when when she was in college like she'd bump into everyone from her school and she goes oh god my whole school is here it's like it's gotten too like out of control where i know everybody has and it was kind of interesting because you know at a certain point i'd be walking through Lollapalooza, and every five minutes somebody would say hi to her like she had all these friends going and then i felt really old because the only people i mean it's kind of all ages but the only people i was bumping into were reporters who were covering <laughs> this and so that's how they saw uh, me and i was like trying to blend in i guess but 
I have never been to Lollapalooza, but you are such a good sport. That is a gr- every every niche should have an aunt like Aunt Ramana. I'm going to tell you right now the equivalent in my life. I'm going to go back to uh, the dinosaur era. My father, many many years ago, when we lived in Rhode Island, uh, took me and my older sister to see Paul Revere and the Raiders. Uh, have you ever heard of Paul Revere? Yes, and the I Raiders? have. Okay. I have. Dennis, <laughs> I don't. Oh, Lord. What? What songs do they sing? That's the one thing I probably don't know. Dennis, uh, give us a oh, Paul Revere. Oh, Paul Revere and the Raiders? Oh, they <laughs> yeah. sing, uh, We're Raiding. <laughs> I don't no, know. Okay. I've never heard of the group of my uh, there's a, Their big hit was a song called Kicks. Kicks just did, 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 okay. did. I don't know you that know, song, anyway, yeah. <laughs> but I've heard of them. Yeah, Paul, well, then, Maybe a, a better interpretation <laughs> of the song you may know. I don't know. Anyway, my father complained about that concert for like 20 years. <laughs> Ugh, I remember I had to take you to see Paul Revere. That music was terrible. Well, the same niece I took to go see Hillary Duff. Um, do you know who Hillary Duff is? I have Hillary Duff. She yeah, was like so on you TV. You have daughters, yeah. But she, I remember I took her, and uh, I think Bogoyevich went to that concert with his daughters. Yeah, so I, I still remember that. And I just, it was like her and her sister, because Haley Duff is also a singer-actress, but she wasn't as popular. But like the only song I knew was when they did a rendition of Our Lips Are Sealed by the Go-Go's. Ooh, but, I love that. Our Lips Are Sealed. Um, but Hillary Duff did that? I did not know she, that. Well, I don't know. I think it might have been her older sister. But Hillary Duff did, uh, I think she did uh, She did Blondie's rendition of The Tide Is High. Because I remember I used to take my niece to Hillary Duff movies, too. Well, I, I got to tell you, I got a kick uh, out of when um, when Tony went on that riff. Because at the previous debate, one of my, high, one of my favorite moments came when Carol Marine I uh, asked the two candidates, what song is it? What song is in the world that just makes you want to get up and dance? And Tony's answer was a change is going to come, which is one of the greatest songs ever written. But no, did you say it's not danceable? It's totally, completely <laughs> not danceable. So now all of a sudden she went from dancing to Sam Cooke's uh, sort of like an elegy uh, to loving Chance the Rapper or anything. I mean, hey, man, you know, it's like you got to do what you got to do uh, to get elected mayor of the city of Chicago. All right, uh, let's move on from the mayor's race and talk about, let's pick up the conversation from last week. Um, we talked last week about the killings in New Zealand. 50 people, I think, um, were, were killed uh, in two mosques in, mm-hmm. in New Zealand by a deranged gunman uh, who is a white supremacist. And the part of the story uh, that hammers home uh, here in our country is the inability, the refusal of the President of the United States, uh, the most prominent politician, our leader, Ramana, our leader, to take a strong and uh, unequivocal denunciation, make a strong, unequivocal denunciation of just that shooter, white supremacists, and uh, people who would kill Muslims. Yeah, and I think one of the um, criticisms of his tweets and his comments is that he never really mentions that Muslims were killed. And, you know, he'll, he'll just say, oh, the slaughter is terrible. But, you know, a lot of American Muslims feel like he's not really saying Islamophobia is bad or, you know, the killing of these Muslims are bad. And I, I know a lot of people have compared to the language that he's spoken of when other groups, other religious groups have been killed. I think there was Coptic, Coptic Christians that were killed in Egypt in 2017. And he called it the merciless slaughter of Christians, bloodletting of Christians must end. And uh, I think when Sarah Sanders, you know, she talked about the slaughter, same people in his administration, they never really mentioned that these were Muslim victims. And uh, I think someone had asked him, I think when he had a press conference or a couple of days ago, when he was uh, uh, some sort of address. And uh, he just said, basically, you know, we can't blame this on, you know, he's talking about white supremacists on a group, on a small group with very, very serious problems. 
And so, you know, a lot of people feel like he's kind of, you know, not really touching on the fact that this, this uh, the alleged shooter had a manifesto and he mentioned Trump. Yeah. And, you know, people, you know, a lot of people around the world think that he is enabling white supremacy. Um, I think the, um, you know, a lot of people have been writing and talking about the comparisons between Donald Trump's reactions and the reactions of the prime minister of um, New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, I believe her name is. Mm -hmm. Um, She basically, you know, uh, everybody's basically saying that she's behaving the way Donald Trump should be behaving when something like this happens against Muslims. She's, you know, she said the government is going to pay for, um, the funeral she was at the funerals you know she's she she said assalamu alaikum at um, one of the the you know the cabinet meetings i guess they call it cabinet meetings and and you know and they took control of the gun situation pretty quick too i think a lot of people pointing that out you know the ban of certain uh weapons and uh i think a couple of days ago they asked her what did you talk to with donald trump when donald trump called to offer his condolences and she said he asked what offer of support the united states could provide my message was sympathy and love for all muslim communities and a lot of people feel like you know he really hasn't done that he doesn't really say that you know and when there is a you know muslim perpetrator he's talking about well this is why we have to ban these people you know he's had twitter twitter um rants where he goes off um and he has you know even before the um i think was it before the elections where he said you know quote unquote islam hates us which is grammatically incorrect in many ways so a lot of people feel like he's not really addressing the problem of white supremacy or the problem of Islamophobia and how, you know, rhetoric can affect, oh, and you know, the way people can act. Absolutely. Uh, and, and again, uh, the shooter uh, had praised uh, Donald Trump. Yes, and in so, his manifesto. Yeah, and he didn't deal with that. He didn't confront the consequences of the kinds of campaigns he's run. He didn't mm-hmm. con- uh, confront the consequences of his own rhetoric uh, at all. And then he did the pivot. He did a pivot so quickly, uh, Romana, uh, with his tweets last weekend. We talked about this earlier in the show, mm-hmm. or earlier this week. Donald Trump went on a tweet rampage, uh, I think 50 or so tweets. I can't remember the exact number. And at some point, he pivoted from uh, like this vague um, s- sympathy for the people who were gunned down without naming, of course, the religion, yeah. uh, to suddenly uh, defending uh, Judge Jeannie Perot, the the talk, yeah, Jeanine, the one who, yeah, who was talk show host on Fox, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, was lost. I think she's suspended for her show for comments she made about uh, Congresswoman Omar, mm-hmm. uh, and um, he began to defend her. So it's almost like the murders are done. Now I'm going right back yeah. where I always. Yeah, been. and it's like one of the things a lot of people have pointed out is like the the humanity of the actual victims is not spoken about that much. You know, we're hearing about Trump and everybody else, but it's like you know he needs to realize the youngest victim in this was a three-year-old boy. Um, his name is Moad Ibrahim. He was um, born of Somalian, you know, he's a Somalian descent. There's like so many people who are actually refugees from different countries, you know, they were victims too. And, you know, a lot of, you know, we talk about the Muslim ban. So yeah, I'll, I mean, the tweets definitely, That's it's just interesting. It's like, he's able to like say, you know, I have sympathy, but he doesn't say he he has sympathy for. And then he kind of just jumps onto this, like, you know, the rhetoric that is actually kind of fueling this kind of behavior or, you know, a lot of people would say this kind of behavior. Ramana, the last time you were on the show last Friday, you were talking about growing up uh, in Lincolnwood, going to Niles West High School and how uh, Niles West, at least when you were there, were a lot of Jewish kids there. It seems to me, 
and uh, disagree with me if you want, that Donald Trump is intentionally trying to drive a wedge between oh, Jews and the Democratic Party, Jews uh, and Muslims. It seems that's like he's determined to do that. For sure. He just wants to see, you know, traditionally there are a lot of Jewish people in the Democratic Party. And, you know, now we're seeing Muslim Americans, you know, joining Congress. And there's definitely going to be a different viewpoint on certain issues that were never really discussed before, including Israel. So, and everybody knows that's a very passionate, very passionate topic a lot of people can't talk about. And, you know, interestingly enough, I think um, Judaism and Islam are very similar. Um, I can go into a synagogue and I identify with a lot more things than I do if I went into a church because I understand it. The religions are very similar. But yeah, there's like, you know, obviously disagreement on many issues, including um, the Middle East. I think that's a one major disagreement. But, you know, there's so many groups of people who are Jewish and Muslim and they're friends, you know. And so, yeah, I think, you know, by saying things like Democrats hate Jewish people, I think that that definitely is it's a very sensitive topic. And I think that definitely is kind of seeping into the rhetoric these days or a lot of the conversations these we'll, days. We'll be talking a lot about this going forth, uh, not just with you, but just with, you know, as the presidential campaign uh, heats up. And this is clearly a tactic that the Democrats are going to have to confront uh, somehow or other and uh, deal with. And I I. Uh, for all the struggles they had with the resolution, we talked about this yes. a couple of weeks ago, where they ended up condemning uh, hate against all groups. I appreciate that in the aftermath of what went down in New Zealand. You, you know what I mean? It's just like we, we're, we're against hate of any kind. I appreciate that effort. Uh, do you just right now, can you think of anything that the Democrats might do or pursue to try to find a way to counter Uh, Donald Trump's blatant um, attempts to manipulate hatred and fear? I think people need to speak out and maybe we'll see more people speaking out or, you know, maybe we'll see a lot of these Democrats coming together because that's one of the things, you know, people do criticize Democrats about is being so fractured. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting is with Republicans, like even when Donald Trump says something <laughs> that a lot of the other Republican candidate or a lot of people in the Republican Party don't agree with, they're kind of quiet usually. And that's what a lot of people say is enabling Donald Trump. But I think um, I think you might hear as the year goes on, if this continues, I think you will hear more people speaking out, I think. All right. That's, that's what I think. I could be totally wrong. That's uh, Ramana Hussein. We're doing the Ramana Rundown, going through the big stories of the week. We're going to take a break and be right back. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarovsky Show. J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., 
live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by four at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, everybody. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, March 22nd is just moments away. But before we get into said hour number two, we need to remind you that the Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by unions. A couple of them, in fact, like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith Workers, Ben, Local 126 and District 8, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you to those unions for jumping on board with us here. And, of course, today's show brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. All right, hour number two of the Benny J Show starts now. It is Friday, March 22nd, and live from the Chicago Reader Suntime Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we still got Romana Hussein in studio. We welcome our good friend and budget guru, Emily Miller, and Illinois State Rep, break out the bong, just kidding, Kelly Cassidy, and now your host, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. No bong jokes for Kelly, all right? <laughs> oh, did she say that? Uh, no, I just said that. Hey, I'll come on, but hey, no bong jokes, uh, right, dude. No bong jokes. Right, Kelly Cassidy, state representative. Kelly Cassidy, one of the uh, leading sponsors of the bill that would legalize marijuana in the state of uh, Illinois, uh, something that uh, uh, Mick Dumkey and I have been writing about for years and years and years. We talk, Romana's husband, Mick Dumkey, my dear friend, Mick Dumkey, and partner of crime at the hideout. We've been talking about legalizing marijuana uh, for all these years. I, I never asked you, Ramana, what's your opinion? Am I the... supposed to, I'm not supposed to talk about my opinion. But oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. She's different. She's an editor. Yeah. <laughs> she has no opinions. <laughs> I do. I do. I have a lot of opinions. I, I, I try to keep my politics usually out. Obviously, I'm not going to say I like Donald Trump as a Muslim. So there's certain things I can talk about and certain yeah. things I can't. But it's definitely, I think it, it's a topic that a lot of people, you know, Maybe a couple of years ago, people would be saying don't legalize marijuana, and now people are saying, you know, obviously it's there's so many benefits that outweigh the negatives, and so it's definitely an interesting topic. You know, my mom didn't know that um, Mick writes about marijuana. I told her, and she was just like, "What does he think?" And I go, "Well, he's he's written stories that are pro legalization." Mom's like, "What?" <laughs> so like, she's like, oh, yeah. so I was like, well, you know, I was explaining to her why people think legalization is good. And she's like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. So, like, well, you know, it's so a big world. Everybody yes. yeah, has her. So titles. it's funny. She didn't know I had to tell her. Yeah. She didn't know that uh, her son-in-law, <laughs> big uh, proponent of legalizing marijuana. All right, D, before we get back to Ramadi, you got an update for us? Absolutely. I do. It is round three 
of our Nick Offerman ticket giveaway today. He's going to be performing Sunday, September 15th at the Chicago Theater. All this week, we've been giving everybody the chance to get a pair of tickets. Uh, I believe round one, we had people name nine famous Nicks, mm-hmm. nonfiction, at, you know, anybody who's a famous uh, person with the first name Nick. Uh, Aaron won that contest. Uh, she had uh, people like Nick Nolte, Nick Young, uh, Nick Cannon was mm-hmm. one of them. Nick Cannon was one, yep. And quite a few. Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran. Oh, Oh, no one said Nick Rhodes. Wow. Can we get her some tickets? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll look into <laughs> okay. it. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Do you like Nick Offerman? Do you know uh, who Nick I know Offerman he is. is. Yeah. He's, isn't he married to Megan Mullally? Very yeah. good. I get her more tickets oh, for that. I'm pretty, that. I'm pretty on top of pop culture. That's why I said we can talk about pop culture and I'll go on and on. So I know who he is. Mm. I, I, I I don't know him that well, but I know definitely who he is. He's in like a lot of movies, kind of like plays like a side character. Have you ever so. seen We're the Millers? No. It's a very funny uh, movie, and he and his wife are in it. They, they're very good together. Yeah, I think they've written books before, too. I was like, read interviews with them, and well, they were like side by side. Thank God our third round wasn't the question, who is Nick Offerman married to? She just gave the answer there. No, no, it oh. is not. It, 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 that isn't. <laughs> it isn't. I thought Sorry, about it. Yeah. I thought about it, making a trivia question. But no, no. Our third uh, game here, or giveaway that we're going to do for Nick Offerman tickets, we're going to give it to the live streamers first, all right? We okay. are very thankful for those who are uh, listening on the live stream right now. So we're going to give the live streamers the opportunity first. Then after a while, if I don't see anybody posting anything, I will then put it on Facebook for everyone who are just just, you know, seize it online. All right. Very similar to our name five or nine famous Nicks uh, thing we did. We're going to do right now on the Ben Jarofsky show, Facebook page at Benny J show, B E N N Y the letter J show head over to the Facebook page. And the first person to post five movies starring or featuring Nick Offerman We'll get a pair of tickets to see him Sunday, September 15th at the Chicago Theater. So it's more of a speed thing, you know? Uh-huh. So if you, or you're the first to post on our page, wherever, uh, five movies starring or featuring Nick Offerman, you will go see Nick Offerman at the Chicago Theater September 15th. You hear that, live streamers? I'm giving you guys the opportunity first. So head over to the Facebook page at Benny J Show. By the way, if you haven't liked the page, go like it and then post Please five do. movies. Please do, yeah. Come on. Uh, so head over there. Post five movies. The first person to do so will win the tickets. Good luck. We'll be reading your uh, movies on the air. All right. I, I think I just gave away one of the movies. Let's just okay. Any it. five movies except that Miller's movie. No, you could say. I mean, no, on. no, no. Uh, We're the Millers is out. Oh, you're so hard on our <laughs> listeners. Uh, it's not they, that hard. They can just Google IBM. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a speed it's, thing, though. You got to yeah. be the first uh, to post it. Oh, yeah. The, no phones. All right. Can't use, no, you can use your phones, everybody. You can definitely use your phones. Uh, speaking of movies, uh, us has opened uh romana and um us of course is the well i was waiting for the for for uh, over a year uh the um follow-up to uh get out jordan mm-hmm. peels which i thought was the best movie of the year in fact i used to i think i, I 21st century I, yeah I've, I've advocated the greatest movie of the 21st century is get out i stand by that still um uh, you saw get out yeah mm-hmm and did I loved it. It was good. I don't know if it was the best movie of the 21st century, but I thought it was really creative and I liked the whole concept of it. And so I did like it. Who would a lot. you put, what would you put ahead of it as the greatest movie of the 21st century? I don't know. I have a lot of fav- favorite movies, so I have to like sit down and pick different genres probably, but I don't know if it was it was definitely 
great in terms of um, the creativity and you know it's very little creativity once in a while like in, in the theater and I think this is that was one of the movies I think that everybody I know saw because sometimes you know people have differences of opinions on genres and this was definitely kind of you know it's kind of framed as a horror movie but it has social commentary which is similar to the new movie although um, I've read a lot of articles about the movie so far and it's less about race but I think it might touch upon it and so people say you have to watch it this new one like at least two or three times to like see what or you get different takes from it so mm. i'm excited to, about this movie too. yeah i'm uh, it's a it's just your basic uh scary movie as far as i can understand i mean it doesn't i don't i have not actually do not, i've not read any like the like deep dive interviews or uh, oh, uh, discourses about it there's more to it than just being a horror movie because um, I've read interviews about it and I don't think I'm giving anything away, but it's, you know, we're talking about politics in the Trump era. And so this kind of touches upon being an American and, you know, are you to blame for um, what is happening or what has happened to this country? So it, people say it's actually a representation of America and Americans and people thinking that they're of no fault. But, you know, you know, the movie, they have these scary doppelgangers of this family, this black african-american family and jordan peele said one of the you know interest and he pays i think the movie kind of starts off in 1986 and then it might flash forward to the future but this like family of four they basically have these like people that look like them mirror images of them they're just scary so there's a lot of co- there's actually commentary on this one too so there's layers and layers oh, all right i didn't know so that. it's not a typical horror movie otherwise uh mick would not watch it Oh yeah, or maybe he would. <laughs> maybe he would. He told me he doesn't like horror movies. No, he went to this whole thing. I had many arguments with him about Get Out because uh, he, he has a grudge against a bit of a prejudice against it because, quote unquote, it's a horror movie, uh, and that that keeps him from like totally embracing it. As far as with a great movie that <laughs> did, I think. It did is. you see Hereditary? Yeah. Okay. Oh my goodness. So that was the last horror movie I saw and I saw that and he's like, I'm not watching this. I don't like horror movies. And he sat next to me reading a book on politics while I was watching Hereditary. <laughs> I think it was a book or he's doing research on something. <laughs> on legalizing marijuana. And, and I was, I was, <laughs> the movie freaked me out. I mean, I, it, I don't like that many horror movies actually either because it takes a lot to really get me scared. I saw it and I remember I took Mick to see it and I go, heard it's really scary. And then we were laughing throughout the whole thing because we didn't think it was Scary. No, it, it wasn't. Well, except for the opening bits where, like, give it away, everybody knows it, where the kid is like following the boat down yeah. as it goes into the sewer and the clowns in the sewer. I mean, that was, I, I was kind of scared. Yeah, but I, I was just like, it takes a lot to get me really scared. Like, movies that are like psychological or about like devil worshiping <laughs> really scares me. So that's our, um, Hereditary really scared me. And, you know, like the scariest movie I think of all time is something like The Exorcist or. Hereditary, oh th- okay, I'm going to, uh, Hereditary basically gets into the issue of how uh, demons get passed on from uh, one generation to the other. So it's like a metaphor for, you know, all the, of the twisted nature that, of families that they kind of keep secret that they want people to know. And yeah. a madness gets passed on is what I want to say from one generation to another. For sure. And uh, so it's, That had layers in it too, I thought. And I thought I kind of touched a little, like it had Rosemary's Baby, a little bit of that into into the film too. So that was the last scary movie I saw. 
and Mick was mentioning us and I, I told him I'm like I already know about this movie he's like I already I always tell him that I know about this stuff before you do he's like oh, I heard Jordan Peele's new movie came out I'm like yeah I saw the trailer like a month ago so it's been talked about and I think he is going to see that one and I'm excited about seeing that one because I do like you know I think I like horror movies, but when they have something to say about them. So yeah. it's definitely very interesting. Yeah. So it's not just a horror movie where you just go and be scared, uh, be scared. There was a, one of the, my colleagues, Alex Ariaga, actually today, right when I came in, she was telling us she saw it and she said it was really scary and she's going to watch it again because she needs to. Um, and she said, you know, it's commentary on American and American politics and to the point we've got to, and you know. I've read that it's also about immigration, gentrification. So it should be interesting. And Jordan Peele also mentioned that, you know, in the old days, like especially the 70s and 80s, and this is, you know, probably true of all movies, like, you know, the protagonists are always white. The, you know, there's always like the white family. So he said that's, he said when he talked about race, he goes, that's the one difference with this horror movie. It's like, the, you know, it's an all black family. Yeah, uh, I am definitely going to see that. I'm going to see that uh, probably tomorrow night. Uh, before we can I, discuss that. And we can discuss it yeah. next week. You're going to see this. That's our I don't know if I'm going to see it. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to see it this week. I'm definitely going to see it uh, this this week. I saw the Michael Jackson documentary. We never talked about oh. that. But just for the show to practice. But <laughs> but no, but we can talk about that later. I, you know, I have not seen that one yet. And uh, I'm really grappling with that whole thing because it was a huge Michael Jackson well, fan. Is Kelly Cassidy here? Yes. Okay. Kelly well, you guys talk about that. I'll go grab her and then we'll uh, take a break and do that. How about All that? All right. Very cool, good. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, no, I have been grappling with that uh, for a long time. My love for Michael Jackson and uh, my inability to deal with the revelations that are coming out about him. So I'm just sort of pretending like it didn't it, exist. It didn't exist. It's, but. it's very compelling. I think if you watch it, um, I know a lot of I have, there's two colleagues of mine at work who are like huge Michael Jackson fans. And one said that she can't watch it. The other one said that she's going to prepare herself before she watched it. And I was someone who was... Um, a Michael Jackson fan for about two weeks because got, I got into New Wave really quickly. But I just I was in junior high when Thriller came out, and just I mean I pretended I wasn't a fan, you know, for a little while. But I mean I, I love that album, and just you know having the mic. There was one kid in my class who had uh, two Beat It jackets. He had a red one like in the video, and he had a black version too. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> it was like this just craze. I mean, I saw the making of Thriller, and I saw Thriller in junior high. Our teacher showed it to us, and it was just this phenomenon. And I don't think it's ever been captured like that before. But just watching it kind of brought back a lot of memories of being. A kid and just you know so you have these two vic two men who are talking about the you know they talk up they allege that michael jackson had molested them and i remember one of the kids he was in a pepsi commercial that came out in 1988 and the other kid i don't remember but he was australian their whole family actually moved from australia to the united states because of his connection to michael jackson he won the stands contest and by that point i was like older like in in the late 80s i was an older teen and i i thought michael jackson hanging out with kids at that point was very unusual and some people said you know because he definitely had his no childhood and his childhood was very fractured um some people said well i think that he's just trying to recapture his childhood but i think if you watch it it's just it's just very compelling. I think you know different people have different takeaways from it, but did I did you believe the uh, the the two witnesses. So if you they will. they are very believable if you watch them, and uh, I think they only met each other once at a slumber party Michael Jackson had with all these little kids. It's just interesting and just like listening to their mothers talk because their mothers allowed them 
to sleep in a room with Michael yeah, Jackson. Some, so it's very heavy. It's very heavy. And like I said, I I don't even think I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan, but I could I was kind of feeling like this knot in my stomach because I just remember the you know. What do you what, this, what's that all about? The mother letting the kids sleep with Michael Jackson. Well, you know they had this you know through Michael Jackson they were able to meet all these celebrities. They stayed at Neverland. He kind of one family um, after because these young men they're like one's like in his late 30s one's in his early 40s now um they both had testified at his trial um his trials involving the other minors and uh after one of them had testified in one of the cases uh michael jackson pretty much gave them a loan for their house because the family wanted to buy a house and then uh you know after he was acquitted the, he said, you know, I'll forgive the loan, according to the family. So, you know, it's it's a very interesting thing. And one one of the men, um, you know, he went to therapy and he, he, you know, his wife doesn't want anything to do with the mother. He's like, it's your fault that you let him kind of go to Michael Jackson. One mom was talking about how, like, you know, I kind of traded this lifestyle for my childhoods, for my child's you know, life itself because she got to meet all these celebrities. So it's it's a very, I think it's very interesting. I think people should watch it. It's just, it's just the, the, the part that uh, strikes me is the backlash. There's always this backlash of people like defending just instinctive defense. We saw with R. Kelly, we talked about this with R. Kelly is seeing the same thing with Michael Jackson, just the backlash to defend is like this inability on the part of uh, fans to criticize it's a, it's almost it's like a, an analogy for politics as well i mean yeah when you get a political campaign i'm seeing that right now with preckwinkle uh, lightfoot the preckwinkle supporters you know they're just they're, they're just laser like in their uh, support of tony and re- demonizing lori lightfoot and to, and to a certain degree it's happening in reverse mm-hmm. as well so you see that you know what i'm saying you just cannot deviate because it's like it's going to prove something wrong about yourself if you like change your opinion or change your thoughts about somebody yeah so it's yeah i, I know there was like a, a you know a friend of mine was sending me texts because my younger sister saw it first and our, a mutual friend of ours was like i don't believe any send us a you know list of tweets like you know because these like i said these two men did testify um in favor of michael jackson i think one guy testified at one trial the other guy testified at both trials and so you know they talk a little bit about that in there and why they decided to and they said one of the things that triggered them was when they had their own children so you know that's when they realized like they need to speak out so it's, it's very interesting i you know it's you know obviously michael jackson is dead he can't speak for himself but i think it's a very compelling i know a lot of people who are defending michael jackson i know we speak about woody allen all the time they go where's the documentary on woody allen so maybe we'll see one on woody allen soon oh, too there has been so much stuff on woody allen uh it just so, hasn't been wanted it that is it's just an obsession uh that new york has uh yeah, we um our next guest are already in the studio so ramon i'm going to let you go but before i do i just want to get a quick prediction from you you're a huge cub fan and uh, your beloved cubs start playing uh thursday i want to say the season starts thursday so it's going to start before uh you're next on our show so are you predicting uh a triumph for the cubs this year are they going to win the- I, I i usually have to wait i don't think they can be that successful between such in such a short time but you never know i usually wait within the first month and then i kind of make a prediction okay i kind of see how it's holding going. back yeah. i'm not going out there all right i don't blame you at all i'm i'm not, I'm not feeling the cubs this year ramon on so many levels we'll talk about this next time the ricketts family and not really feeling the cubs <laughs> right now well you're a Sox fan right 
Uh, no, I actually, I mean, you're the, a Chicago fan. I, I That's like, them like both. a wussy way to yeah. say. No, you know, like, like, okay, you know, it's like, I, I, why would I pick one of the? First of all, I'm not even from Chicago, so why? What, just because Chicagoans make these distinctions between the Cubs and the Sox, why do I have to do it? You, <laughs> you know? have to. It's just part of being in living in Chicago. All you can right. like both of them, but you have to like one better than the other. All right, I have to think about that one. All right, Ramana Hussein, it's the Ramana Rundown. The T-shirts are coming. Uh, maybe we'll have some next week. <laughs> I'll get on that. I'll get on that. All right. Very good. Thanks a lot, Romana. Thank our, you. our next guest, Kelly Cassidy and Emily Miller. We got a twofer here in the studio. We'll be right back after this. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hi, this is Nick Offerman. I'm taking my show on the road and subjugating an audience to my humor. All rise, American humorist Nick Offerman is coming September 15th on stage at the Chicago Theater. It's an evening of deliberative talking and light dance that will compel you to chuckle while enjoining you to brandish a better side of humanity than the one to which we have grown accustomed. Reserved seats are on sale noon Friday, March 22nd at the box office or at Ticketmaster.com. Don't miss Nick Offerman live. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. All right, we'll do. Kelly Cassidy, the pride and joy of the North Lakefront is in the studio. State Representative Kelly Cassidy. They call her the reefer legislator. Nobody calls her the reefer <laughs> legislator. I'm the only one who does that, Kelly. Uh, thanks for coming in. And at the same time, they walked in together, the great Emily Miller. Hello. Hello, Emily Miller. And she is a senior policy director. Did I have that correct? Advisor. Advisor. Yes. My back can't read my own Come writing. Come on, Jarofsky. <laughs> and you really, uh, literally just wrote that down 10 seconds ago. Well, okay. Could you see how my writing? Can you read that? I can't <laughs> read. Plus, I only got the D part of it. All right. And, uh, and, and there was no D. Well. Ed. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for the spelling tips, Emily Miller. Our host, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and, um, Can't even read his own hand. Hey, at least poor, like poor Phil. Did you guys watch the debate last night? No. No, I was oh. rolling back from Springfield. I was oh. watching the tweets though; they were yeah. interesting. I love the name tag thing. I'm sorry, that was hilarious. No, that was hilarious. Okay, that's what I was going to get at. I at love least it. I know that you're Kelly and you're Emily. Poor Phil Fonts. I got all mixed up and started calling Tony Laurie and Laurie Tony. Yep. 
Yes, yes indeed. Yeah. And so one of them should have said, uh, Tony's the tall one and Lori's the shorter one. And But then they did the... Right. Lori grabbed a piece of paper and made name tags, right, which just Lori. cracked me up. Yeah, that's right. Kelly Cassidy, Lori Lightfoot support. We'll get into that uh, in a little bit. D, you got an update for me? Absolutely, I do. We have a winner for our third and final Nick Offerman ticket giveaway. Mm. By the way, still waiting to hear from the winner from our second one. Ant, dude, <laughs> hit us up. I, hit you, I sent you a message on Facebook. Come on, Ant. Hey, come you, on, Ant. You won the tickets. Yeah. Uh, so the contest here, very similar to our five uh, name nine famous Knicks contest that we had. Mm. We went to the Facebook page, went to the live streamers first to see if they could name five movies starring or featuring Nick Offerman. And uh, looks like we have a winner. His name is Seth. I'm going to go over to the Facebook page. All right, Seth listed his five movies. Let's run through them here. Seth, congratulations. You're the winner. His five movies. Oh, wait, we got the intro there. Played the wrong song. His <laughs> his five movies. There we go. Oh, yeah. There we go. All right. He says, The Founder. Oh, yeah. The, yes. the McDonald's movie. Yeah, That's he a was flick. Uh, one of the McDonald's brothers. Yeah, that's correct. All right. His second movie, Hearts Beat Loud. Love that movie. Have you seen that movie, Kelly Cassidy? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's every father uh, and his daughter. That's a movie for daddy, daughters. Great movie. All right. We're doing the five. How Nick- very gendered of you. What? Oh, Daddies daddy and daughter. daughters. I mean, like, I have sons, and they only have moms. Actually, they only have parents. They don't even have... Yeah, well, parents. no, but this is uh, Nick Offerman play. I'm teasing you, love. No, fine. I know, but I'm just... I just realized people may not know the premise. He uh, is a widow. What is it when you're a widower, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, and uh, he's his daughter is... Uh, 20 and she's driving him crazy and they all work it out. All right, Seth's right. third movie, <laughs> The Kings of Summer. Kings of Summer? I haven't seen that oh. one. Have you seen that one in no. my Lord? No, man. All, all right. right, but it's probably a Nick Offerman I looked movie. it up. Yep, he's in it. He's uh, in it. Uh, his fourth movie, 21, or I mean, maybe it was 22 Jump Street. Remember that when they yeah, did that? Yeah, yeah, he was at 22 Jump Street. Yes, sir. That movie was not that good. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the yeah. fifth movie, the Little Hours, H O U R S. The Little Hours with Nick Offerman. Uh, Seth, congratulations. I got I'm going to reach out to you on Facebook and ask for your information. Don't be creeped out. It's just me, producer Dennis from The Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, very good. Thank you. Oh, and by the way, go see Nick Offerman uh, for the uh, September 15th, Sunday, September 15th at the Chicago Theater. That is correct. All right, thank you very much, D. All right, Kelly Cassidy, Emily Miller in the studio with me. We're going to be talking budgets uh, predominantly with uh, Emily, so uh, sit tight for a while. Emily, although you can weigh in if you want. A lot of political stuff I want to talk to Kelly Cassidy again, state rep from the north side of Chicago, Rogers Park area. One of the more, I would say, feel free to disagree with me, liberal slash progressive members of the state house. Would you agree with that characterization of your political ideology? I have not yet arm wrestled Will Gazzardi for the title. (laughs) I'm probably not going to. I'm just claiming it. Yeah, you're just claiming. First of all, you've been there. I want the belt. Yeah, I want to wear the belt. Most liberal. Yeah. By the way, do you draw a distinction between? We had this conversation with Ramon Hussein, liberals versus progressives. She she went on this um, uh, tangent about white liberals, and I said, well, I think the people that you're alluding to probably uh, view themselves as progressives as opposed uh, to white liberals. Do you see a distinction between a liberal and a progressive? I mean, honestly, I I, you know. while words matter, obviously, I do think that there's sort of 
trends almost in that space. But you know, what I'm more concerned about is this this sense of you know, there's some grand poobah somewhere that that uh, defines who is and isn't a progressive and who isn't is and isn't a true progressive. And I really think we probably need a bigger tent than than that attitude. We allows are us. seeing that and uh, big time in this Lightfoot uh, Preckwinkle campaign. No, even door story Lightfoot. But it's come up in other yeah. spaces too. This is a growing trend, and it's 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 troublesome. All right. Now, you just said something, words matter, and that leads me to something I want to talk to you about. I didn't wake up this morning thinking I was going to be talking to you about this, uh, Kelly Cassidy, but I opened up the Sun-Times and I saw a headline, post comparing Nazis to Dems deleted, republished. I don't know if you've seen the story, you're quoted in the story. Oh, yeah, I saw it all. Um, Talk about this. Explain to people what happened. So so earlier in the week, um, one of our colleagues uh, from the Jewish Caucus brought this graphic and article to our attention that the Illinois Family Institute's political action arm had posted on their Facebook page, and it was a side-by-side comparison of Nazis and Democrats. And... um, he shared it with the Anti-Defamation League and some others, and some of our Republican colleagues, uh, Dave McSweeney specifically, uh, reached out to the folks at IFI, which, by the way, the Southern Poverty Law Center has designated them a, a hate group. The, the um, Illinois Family Institute. They yes. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they took it down. And then within 24 hours, they, they brought it back, they brought the article back with a new, what they called a, an improved headline and graphic. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their, their improvement was to take a photo of Auschwitz and place it next to a photo of a Planned Parenthood clinic um, and attempt to justify the comparison of a, you know, a legally operating healthcare center with uh, a, a systematic uh, destruction of an entire people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, which when I retweeted it, I said, apparently the Family Institute found someone to hold their beer. Um, you know, they just doubled down um, and went a little further even. I don't know if you saw the part where they, uh, they, in their article, they referenced me and described me as a feticide, a lesbian feticidal maniac. No, I, I didn't see that. I didn't, yeah. That wasn't in the article. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Thank you. Yeah, Emily's giving me something. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Wow. So, yeah. Um, wow. What do, you, what do you even say to that? There's not a lot to say. You know, I don't mind getting into spirited policy debates. I don't mind that there are folks who disagree with my belief that medical decisions should happen between a patient and their doctor. Um, I do mind uh, when people engage in hate, hate speech and inciting violence. And that's exactly what these people are doing. And I believe that that their credentials should be examined. You know, that when you have lobbyist credentials in in the General Assembly and the Jewish caucus has actually asked for a state police investigation and um, a review of whether they should have lobbyist credentials because you bypass security. You can walk freely in and out of this building uh, without being screened. And we, we've got metal detectors and screening uh, x-rays in the building. Um, and, and the question becomes, you know, does does a group that, that advocates hatred and violence in this way deserve that privilege? Well, I, I feel as though uh, they're picking up where Donald Trump has been heading for a while. Although these guys have been at it since before Trump. Exactly. All right. So maybe he's picking up from them and yeah. making it more, quote unquote, mainstream, which is scary. He's definitely making it more mainstream. Uh, but just, just so folks know, there's an illustration of, of this since deleted web postings in the Sun-Times, and it has two categories, one Nazis, and then right next to it is one Democrats, and this is supposedly what they have in common. Right. Uh, and this is, in my opinion, uh, hate, 
hate speech. It is no 100% doubt about it. hate speech. So socialism, each one wants no guns. I mean, you're just making this stuff as they go along. Uh, censorship, mind, media mind control, both believe that according to this thing, that's what they want. And then uh, both believe in abortion. And then uh, Nazis hate Jews. Democrats hate Jews and whites. Right. Which is really fascinating, quite frankly, that they make that distinction. Talk about that. That, that it, I mean, it really speaks to the, this concept of how these folks perceive Jews as other. Um, because the vast majority of Jews are white. And there are non-white Jews. And we've got Ethiopian Jews in, in, um, in, in, that had to be rescued and brought to Israel. There are, there are uh, Jews all over Asia. Um, so, so it's true. But the, the, the wide perception is that Jews are, are predominantly white. My dear friend Karen Lewis. Who's right, listening right, right now? Right, exactly. Uh, and the, and, is Jewish. And when I when I converted to Judaism, the majority of my class were African Americans uh, of my conversion class. Now, Kelly, I don't know if you want to get personal for the moment. I just want to. I did not. When when, we, when you came in, I go, Kelly, you're a Jewish caucus. I didn't know you were Jewish. Uh, and, you, and, <laughs> uh, and you said, yeah, with that name, Kelly Cassidy. One would not think Kelly Cassidy is Jewish. Uh, talk a little bit about your decision, your conversion decision. So, you know, at, at its very base, um, you know, growing up in the Catholic Church as a, a young woman, uh, felt that there wasn't a seat there for me, that, that, that I was not welcome there. Uh, and as I moved through into adulthood and, and began to experience uh, other cultures and other worlds, um, I, I found that Judaism did speak to me. And, 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 you know, the beauty of the religion in encouraging questioning and study and, and you know, being curious and being mindful in your uh, in your observation of your faith really spoke to me, and and so that's that has been my spiritual home for uh, more than twenty years. Uh, my three children are also Jewish; they have all been bar mitzvah. That's um, just who we are. Uh, I was making Passover plans today with some friends. Um, so it, it's we we have a Jewish home, and we are. You know, I am part of the Jewish caucus, and uh, you know I'm I'm really grateful to my colleagues in the caucus for having my back in this, and for calling out uh, explicitly the attack on my sexuality as well. Have has anybody ever uh, given you a hard time for deciding to become Jewish? Has anybody on a, on a, on a, any front said what? Why would you do that? Or? So um, I, I wouldn't call this a hard time. It's just a funny moment in the life of Kelly Cassidy. When I, <laughs> when I told my mother I was leaving the church yeah. many many years before, she said, "I'm going to pray every day that you find a way to let God back into your life." And when I I told her I was converting, I was actually more nervous than I was when I told her I was gay. Um, and her response was. I guess I should have been more specific. Um, so <laughs> she then, uh, but she really embraced it and came up and, and observed Jewish holidays with us and, and you know, em, embraced that, that this was who we who we are and, and how our life is. Wow, that is, I should have been more specific. <laughs> I failed again. Oh, it's not so bad, mom, you know. Um, so when you watch what Donald Trump is doing right now and, uh, okay, the uh, Illinois uh, Family Institute are taking this to a, a great extreme it is my humble opinion just flat out hate it that is. preaching right there's there. zero question that that's what we're talking about here. Uh, and, and and this kind of this kind of of speech this kind of hate speech is is what has led to doctors being shot outside of abortion clinics it's it, it 
there there is a direct line to be drawn between this kind of rhetoric and and violence. Mm-hmm. There's there's no question. Yeah. Well, we were talking about that with Romana. Uh, the fact uh, that. It, the right is emboldened now. Trump's emboldened. They don't seem to feel that there's a consequence uh, or they should be held uh, accountable uh, for the consequences of their hate speech. And when Donald Trump uh, goes out and says, and he's, he says, he's said it several times, Kelly, uh, that the Democrats are, first he starts off, they're anti-Israel, and then he says he slides into their anti-Jewish. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? I, he... He says whatever pops into his mind and then justifies it. And there are no consequences. Um, and and truly, it does. This this kind of rhetoric does scare me. Um, you know, I check a lot of boxes for people who like to hate. And and so do my kids. And and so it does worry me that this that this exists in our world right now. Uh, Kelly Cassie is my guest. Emily Miller from uh, Governor Pritzker's office is sitting here as well. We're going to talk some uh, budget stuff first, but I have a few things. You get Kelly Cassie in the studio you want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, do it. And number one on that list, we've been <laughs> joking about it all the time. I don't know why I always joke about marijuana, Kelly Cassie. Because the jokes write themselves. Uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> like sometimes I accidentally say things and I'm like, oh man. I see. And frankly, in a meeting the other day, Christian Mitchell said, let me be blunt. And, the, and oh, you know, yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> Oh, that Christian's got a million of them. I'm going to download a rim shot from my phone just so I can play it every time. It's ridiculous. Uh, well, I mean, part of the reason why... Uh, well, let me just finish what I was saying. Kelly Cassidy and uh, Heather Staines in the center, the chief sponsors of the legalized uh, marijuana movement, or bill here in the uh, state of Illinois, uh, about time, I say. And, um, and part of the reason why I, I uh, make so many jokes about it uh, Kelly, and you know I've, you've heard me in this uh, many times, it's just the utter uh, hypocrisy uh, that when we deal with the subject of marijuana, and we're going to get into this, I think I, I think the Dennis quoted a story from the Tribune that 60 reps have signed a resolution saying, slow down, <laughs> slow down, good God, it's been like how many years since we've been started talking about legalizing marijuana in the state of Illinois, but it's going, you're going too fast. Right. But this notion, it's just hypocritical that like, this is some kind of foreign alien thing, smoking marijuana. We have to be careful and cautious when almost everybody has either smoked it or is really good friends with someone who smoked it or been in a room where it's been smoked and or their kids smoke it or their parents smoke it or whatever. And uh, it, but we still act. We still, but we like still act pretense. like it's not happening, and we've got our head in the sand around this. And you know, every single sky is falling scenario that anyone can bring to me that that this terrible thing will happen if um, it's happening today. We're pretending it isn't. We're not addressing it head on, and we're not doing it in a way that is thoughtful and effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the reality of. Uh, of cannabis in the state of Illinois is we know that there are at least 780,000 people in the state of Illinois who report regular use of the product. And I will say that that's probably conservative because I know, you know, people, people under report and in particular about a a product that's illegal. I mean, heck people tell their doctor, they only have one glass of wine with dinner and we know they're lying. You know, it's just, this is the reality. And we've got maybe 50,000 patients in the medical program. That's a lot of people yeah. who are buying this product 50, on the streets mm-hmm. that are buying a product that isn't packaged, tested, labeled, labeled for potency, labeled for what it's been treated with, um, tested for contaminants and additives, um, sold by someone who can tell you more about what to expect when you use the product. You know, we, we can address a lot of these issues if we 
let it come out of the shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it is frustrating. And the idea of slowdown when we've had four public hearings, dozens of town hall meetings, and hundreds of stakeholder meetings just over the course of the last two years, never mind how long this has been a conversation in the General Assembly. What is a stakeholder meeting? So we have, since Heather and I started this process, we've been meeting with people that we perceive to be proponents, Mm -hmm. people we perceive to be opponents, and then my favorite category are people we've reached out to who want to know why we want to know what they think. But we've really tried to um, access everyone who's who may be touched by this in some way, whether that is law enforcement, industry folks, social justice advocates, criminal justice reform folks, uh, the treatment community. You know, we've really gone um, pretty far afield Mm -hmm. to to pull folks together and say, this is what what we're thinking, this is what other states have done, this is what other states have suggested we could do differently. What do you think? What is this gonna look like in your world Mm -hmm. when this comes? Because this is a when. There's no doubt in my mind this is a when, not an if. And if we do it right and we do it now, we can we can address things head on and have a an adult conversation about this product that is in wide use in our community. What, do you have any uh, sense of when uh, a vote will come to the floor? When, like you say, it's a when. How when? We would like to see it happen this session, and I think it's doable. We've we've now convened a, a table with uh, folks from the governor's office and and stakeholder groups going to break up into working groups now to to finish the you know filling in the blanks and mm. you know through the course of all those meetings I've, I've said several times there's there's about 10 questions about this this topic they fall into about 10 categories and there's variations on a theme but there's mm. you know the, this is where stuff tends to fall and that was the case when we brought this group back together to to start to talk about it so we know where we need to go all right now this is going to be a perfect segue to bring emily in to talk because at some point we have to talk about the money that we can raise or we the, the the governor is anticipating raising if we do legalize marijuana. But before I do that, I need to ask you, um, we had a discussion one time you were on the show about uh, the banking needs of mm-hmm. people in the medical marijuana industry yeah. and how antediluvian our attitudes are. So they can't even get access to banks because right. of uh, Donald Trump's federal policies. So like, the de- I don't know how they're doing it, right. how they deal, how they pay- do a payroll for crying out loud, whatever, because you can't. You can't transfer your money into a checking account so you can pay your employees right. with it's, a check. It's, it's been really challenging for a lot of folks. And it, to, to the money part, first, I want to say, you know, what we've learned over the course of our research is if you start from the place of building it around the money, you end up with less money. So we've been really cautious about policy first. And, and the money that comes will be real, but we've got to make sure we go about it right and don't overtax it because otherwise you're going to end up not cutting into your street marketplace and not getting people into the legitimate marketplace. In terms of the banking question, there are some banks doing some business with some some of the the, the operators in the industry, and that's usually based on pre-existing relationships. Um, there there was a bank that that uh, had led to about eighty five percent of the industry being banked. Um, and when Jeff Sessions was attorney general and was doing a lot of saber rattling, uh, they they panicked. Mm-hmm. They, they they decided the risk was too great, and they informed all of those businesses that they would no longer bank them. So folks are doing all sorts of things, moving cash around, using safe deposit boxes, using safes, uh, you know, using gift cards, you know, the, like you know the re- rechargeable cards to pay the, to pay folks. Um, it, it it's a mess, and and so uh, we we did introduce a bill with uh, Treasurer Frerichs this week to try to address that. 
it's really a federal problem and it's really got to be fixed at the federal level. What we're doing here is is doing the best we can at the state level to make it as safe for the the, the banking community to do business with this industry Without getting as we in can. Tr- trouble yeah. with the feds. Yeah. All right, Kelly Cassidy uh, will, will stay with us. We're not going to let her leave uh, because we're moving into a topic that she knows a little bit something about too and that has to deal with the budget and the fair tax and uh, joining the conversation, Emily Miller, who's been sitting here very patiently <laughs> uh, listening to Kelly and my conversation. Ellie, uh, Emily is a senior policy advisor to uh, Governor Pritzker. She also is a person with her own uh, opinions, which she is restraining on. I know you could have jumped in on that conversation, yeah, yeah. Emily. I have I kn- no personal opinion. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you had to put them all in a box. So anyway, can we can jump right into this conversation? All right, Emily Miller, you're here. Uh, we talked so much about the fair tax uh, in yes. the months leading up to the um, governor's race, a rounder uh, Pritzker governor's race, which Pritzker, of course, won. And uh, the fair tax would be a more progressive form of income tax. Right now, it's a flat 4.95. Do it off the top of my head. Uh, thank you. Very for good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so everybody pays the same rate. It's really unfair that a billionaire like Pritzker or a billionaire rounder or a billionaire like Donald Trump uh, pay the same rate as uh, a broke radio show host like Ben Jarofsky or Dennis. <laughs> so uh, Actually, uh, I remember being in the studio with you during the campaign and then candidate Pritzker said we're going to have a fair tax where Dennis pays less. <laughs> Specifically. Oh yeah, I remember that. You remember that? Does yeah. Dennis yeah. get his own category? Yeah. <laughs> the Dennis category. All right. And so that's a perfect segue, uh, Kelly. Uh, categories. The issue of categories. Uh, uh, Governor Pritzker was doing some great ducking and dodging uh, when he was on the campaign. Uh, on before, he didn't want to release the rates, and I knew I know. Let's not go into that one. We all know why he doesn't release the rates. The same reason Lori Lightfoot or Tony Preckwinkle won't release what um, uh, tax plans they have because it just get hammered by the opposite. Uh, yes, but team. can I offer another perspective on that? Go ahead. Just insert a little bit less cynicism into this. <laughs> skepticism, skepticism, not cynicism. Go there ahead. There is, you know, legislation is. Mm-hmm run by legislators, not by a governor. And it would be inappropriate for a governor to just declare that things will be a certain way and only a certain way. Um, and I think just as Representative Cassidy has described this this ongoing process with the marijuana legalization bills, I mean, this is a, a joint process. This is not the governor coming down and saying, these are the rates, and so it shall be. You know, this really is is supposed to be a collaborative process, and I think that's refreshing. I, I was about to say that, not to, to step on your toes there, but but after four years of a guy who didn't understand, you know, co-equal branches of right. government, it's kind of cool. Yeah. All right, fair powers. enough. I sit uh, uncynicized. Is that a word? Uh, they're decynicizing me. Uh, but uh, anyway, all right, fine. There was a, he had another reason for not uh, revealing his rates. Now, about two weeks ago, he revealed his rates, whatever it was. I can't remember what it was. So go through the rates and explain what uh, the, sure. the plan is on the table right now. So first, let's do a little bit of Fair Tax 101, okay? So Illinois right now has a flat income tax, which means that people who make less pay the same rate as people who make as much as a millionaire does. So no matter how much you make, you're paying that 4.95%. Most states that have an income tax change the tax rate depending upon what your income is so that people who make less pay a lower rate and people who make more pay a higher rate. So that's what the governor's proposed rates 
uh, involved. So just to do a quick run through of the actual rates themselves, keep in mind that a graduated structure means that the lower parts of your income are taxed at a lower amount. And then as you make more, those higher amounts are taxed at a higher amount. Mm -hmm. It does not mean that your entire income is taxed at whatever the highest rate is. Already, that's confusing to a lot of people. You think it's hard to explain TIFs? Yeah. Try to explain that a graduated uh, Over the radio without a a whiteboard to use. Yeah. Yeah. So, So for example, the way that this works is the first $10,000 $10,000 of income. So from from your first penny of income to $10,000, you're paying 4.75 on those on those dollars. Okay. Uh, after $10,000, so on your 10,001st dollar mm-hmm. and on, um, you're paying 4.9% uh, through $100,000. So okay. again, that's only that section of income you're paying 4.9% of your uh, you know uh, rate on the, on the income. Now in the in that category alone, mm-hmm. you're you're dealing with about eighty percent of people in the state of Illinois. Right. 80 so you're to saying eighty percent of the people uh, in the state of Illinois make a hundred thousand or less. Yeah, that about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're going up to from a hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand. That portion only is taxed at four point nine five, which is the current tax rate. But you have to remember that your first hundred thousand is taxed at less. I got it. So right now, <laughs> all of that money yeah. is being taxed at the same amount. Under a fair tax, the lower parts of your income are taxed at a lower amount. And that means that there is something that is called an effective rate, which people's eyes glaze over. But it's really that effective rate that we're talking about when we're, we're trying to think about how much we are going to pay more or less in taxes. What, do you, so what is effective rate An effective mean? rate is, right now, everyone's effective rate is is the same because we have uh, flat a flat tax that's mm-hmm. taking out exemptions and complicated things. For purposes of this conversation, everybody pays the same amount. Our effective rate is our marginal rate. Okay. Um, but under a fair tax, for example, um, you have a person, let's say you're making uh, $250,000. The reason that everybody making $250,000 or less gets pays the same or less is because as we talked about earlier, that first $100,000 is taxed at a lower rate. Yeah. And so somebody making $250,000 is actually only paying a four point nine two percent effective rate because that's when you combine the percentages from the first part of their income and the second part of their income you get to four point nine two which is less than the current four point nine five all right let me ask you this question right now before we go any further with the explanation yeah why bother with this the effective rate uh why bother with the marginal rate why why bother with a two separate rates why not just have like everybody uh from zero to ten thousand pays uh, 4.75, and then everybody from 10,000 to 100,000 pays 4.5. I'm just throwing numbers out there. Why uh, have like different rates within the income structure itself? I mean, I think there's different states do it differently. So some states have 11, 12, 13 different brackets um, to account for the ranges of income levels. Um, in Illinois and across the country, most of the wealth is concentrated in those higher income levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is actually a piece of this that I wanna explain um, that addresses that phenomenon specific- specifically. So, you know, we have seen income inequality continue to be a huge problem. Millionaires and people making, you know, a million dollars and up continue to see increases in their income. And 
lower income families, $50,000 or less, um, do not see those same increases in income. That money is going to the top and it's getting stuck there because our current income tax system does not follow the money. Mm -hmm. If we modernize and make our our tax system more fair and and make people paying a million dollars or more pay more, which is what a fair tax is, mm -hmm. the wealthy pay their fair share, we're going to be able to continue to capture where that where that income growth is. So one of the things that the governor's um, proposed rates includes is a special higher rate for people making a million dollars or more. Uh, so the, the progressive structure that I just described, the graduated structure, the fair structure, stops when you reach a million dollars because at that point, fairness means that you have to pay a little bit more than everybody else. And so what's the rate for, for the highest rate? The, ra the highest rate, if you make over a million dollars, is um, 7.95. And is that the same... Uh, the same system where the first $10,000 are taxed at 4.75 and no millionaires are straight are straight 7.95 under the governor's proposal um, because it's time for the wealthy to pay their fair share and I the the beauty of this proposal and and of the proposals that have been discussed in previous general assemblies and and by fair tax advocates generally is that 97% of people will see the same income tax or lower mm -hmm. so if you're fighting for that top 3%, I think you're a little bit out of touch with what's happening with working families across Illinois. Okay. Uh, and I cut you off. I just want to make sure I understand this. So 100 to 250 is 4.95% is the top rate. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a, a rate for people between 250 and a million? There's a, a rate for 250 to 500. So that's 7.75. Mm -hmm. And then that top rate uh, the the uh, sorry 500 to a million is 7.85 gotcha. those are all with that structure where the lower parts of their income are taxed at a all lower right. rate got it okay and then once you hit a million it's it's 7.95 all right so i'm going to bring kelly cassidy to this conversation because this is going to be a political sale before we get into uh whether this raised the, the, what i call the rich miller question uh columnist rich miller wrote an excellent column i thought I don't know if you saw this one, Emily, uh, last week was in the Sun-Times, about uh, the strategies behind uh, these uh, rates, et cetera, et cetera. Let's get to the political question, Kelly, and that is can can you, now you're in a more liberal, progressive, whatever you want to call it, district, uh, I understand that, but can this be sold to the voters uh, or will there be automatic uh, opposition to any kind of tax hike? So, I mean, I fundamentally believe that our role, this job that we go out and literally beg at the doors for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. You do. Hey. Hi. Let's <laughs> try to think about that. Please vote for right. me. So, but this job comes yeah. with um, some, some pretty significant responsibility, and that means leading. Uh -huh. and, and that means continuing that process of, of being present and being there with our constituents and sharing with them the realities of what we're working on so that, that they can be educated and they can come to understand these facts. And it's, it's not fun, and people don't really like talking about it, but... The more you do it, you can bring people along. And, and you know, this is in a complicated way. You know, this is a more complicated factor. But, you know, when we were talking about marriage equality, it was similar. You know, when when some of our colleagues were, were getting pushback within their districts and we talked about, I'll go with you to your district. And I'll meet your constituents and I'll talk about the realities of this. And when you have those conversations with people, 
they come around. Mm -hmm. And that's our responsibility as the elected legislators in, 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 I mean, in districts like mine, they're going to argue that those rates are too low. Um, but in, yeah. in other districts, they're, they're going to argue that the top rates are too low. Yeah. That's yeah. that what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but it, that's a liberal district. It, yeah. It's a, it's a very liberal district. And, and, and so, but, but that also means that I'm then available to go to other districts and talk about it too, and, and help support my colleagues for whom this is a heavier lift. And so all of us have to contemplate what our responsibilities are for those, those of us who want to see this happen. We have to contemplate what it means to get it to happen. And I, you know, the same is happening with cannabis. Heather and I are traveling the state, and that's what, what some of us need to be able to do to talk about what it looks like to live in a district where income inequality is an issue. Yeah, and I, you know, t to that point, in terms of explaining to people what this means, um, the governor has tried to lay out the choices very clearly for people. This isn't just turning to a fair tax system for the heck of it. It's because we have serious financial challenges in the state. We have a $3.2 billion budget hole that we have to figure out a way to fill. There are pieces like cannabis. Um, there are other elements of the governor's budget proposal, sports betting, things like that, um, that will add revenue. But in the long term, if we're going to fund uh, programs, if we're going to have a budget every year, if we're going to stop cutting, because that's what we have to do yeah. is stop cutting. We saw what that looks like after the last four years. We don't want to do that anymore. Uh, so if we want to do that, you know, we have to change our tax model, stabilize our system, get our our credit rating back up from junk. We've got to rebuild the state. And that's what's at stake here. We can cut everything by 15 percent. Mm -hmm. We can raise everyone's taxes low income and upper income people by a whole percentage point, or we can give the 97% of the people a tax cut, uh, you know, either pay the same or a tax cut. And, and that's just the most fair way to do this. If, you know, we can achieve all those goals and rebuild our state for the future. That's, that's the way to do it. I, I uh, agree with you. You know, I agree with you, Emily. Uh, but I'm going to talk about this uh, psychological impediment that you're up against. And, uh, uh, Kelly, I'm going to get your comments on this one. I, uh, in a local race, local aldermanic race, so it's not really addressing the, um, it's not addressing at all the state tax. Uh, one of the candidates, a guy named Matt Martin, who's running the 47th Ward in a runoff, has proposed to some form of a uh, corporate income tax, which would be structured uh, along these same lines with the, uh, the well-to-do paying the highest rate. I don't even know if, I haven't seen the specifics of his plan, so I don't even know if Is the- For the city or the state? City, uh -huh. for the city. And his opponent, a guy named Michael Negrone, uh, has come back. I know this because I'm in the ward. I get the flyers uh, blasting it. And he, uh, when I read the flyer blasting uh, Matt Martin's plan, it reads like something that would come out of Bruce Rauner or the Chicago Tribune's editorial board. And it's saying you're going to force people out of the city. Uh, you're going to make you're taxing the middle class too hard. Uh, and uh, we should look for ways to cut before we start thinking of new taxes. And so this is going on in a quote-unquote liberal ward fight where a, two Democrats who would tell you they're both progressives and the one, whether he realizes it or not, is repeating the talking points of Rauner and the, the Chicago Tribune's editorial board that somehow our tax on the well-to-do is really a tax on the middle class. Kelly Cassidy, how do you fight that? How do you fight like, like this entrenched notion that any kind of tax hike yeah. is somehow or other detrimental to working class people and middle class people, even if it's 
directed at the well-to-do. Right. And, and that's a huge challenge. And it takes those smaller conversations, right? Folks have become pretty um, accustomed to, you know, the, the equal and opposite flyers that come in. You know, this this one's a tax and spend liberal. This one's going to cut. And they don't want to hear the details. People have come to a place of not really wanting to get down into the weeds. See mm-hmm. what I did there? Um, <laughs> yeah, you're very blunt. Um, oh. Exactly, exactly. And, and we'll bake this in. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> Joint effort by Ollie. <laughs> Dennis with the singer. <laughs> um, so, so it really does involve those conversations at the doors or in coffee shops of, of, oh, okay, I hear what you're saying, but, but do you know that the Illinois state government is actually in the bottom third in terms of the size around the country? Oh, no, I didn't know that because nobody put that on a bumper sticker. Yeah. You know, those moments where you just yeah. have to have those conversations and we have to get people back engaged with their, with, with their government, whether we're talking state or local, um, so that, that we can get past those talking points. Uh, because it really is a crisis at all levels. And, and, you know, getting folks more engaged is critically important. All right, now, uh, Emily, there's the Rich Miller question. Uh, Rich Miller, no relation to Emily Miller. That's correct. All right, uh, <laughs> uh, but Rich wrote a good column last week. I, again, I don't know if you've seen it. If, if you haven't, I urge you to read it. And one of the points uh, he raised is whether or not uh, this tax hike will raise enough money to meet all the financial needs that the state of Illinois has. Uh, so, Well, the first thing I'm going to do is take issue with the way that you've characterized it. This is a fair tax where 97% of people will pay the same or less and the wealthy will pay their fair share, which will actually mean that they pay more in okay. those cases. So that out of the way. <laughs> well, Very the, important that. <laughs> what was the second part of the question? I got so excited pass, about I that. Know, no, I really love it. You jumped on me. All right, ben, get it right. All right. Uh, the second part of the question was, will it raise, will the fair oh. tax raise enough money uh, to meet our obligations? I, it will be combined with other pieces that are in the budget for this year. The, keep in mind that the fair tax will not be, assuming that it passes the legislature, this legislative session will not be on the ballot until November 2020 during that presidential election and mm-hmm. will not be able to be put into effect until the following calendar year. So January 1st, 2021. So no, this will not fix everything between now and then. And I would say it. there is no such thing as one fix. This is gonna take a lot of work, a lot of uh, budgeting and <laughs> over the next couple years to rebuild. It's not gonna fix everything on its own. It's a part of the solution. It's a big part of the solution as we move out into the future, particularly when that higher, uh, income level continues to grow and we're able to capture that income growth. All right, uh, Emily Miller, Kelly Cassidy in the studio. Uh, this is a podcast, not a radio show, and that means we can go overboard every now and then. And I got you two in here. We got the door locked. Got a few more questions I want to ask <laughs> Emily and Kelly before I let them out. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll do a little more discussion about the fair tax. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. 
Where can you download The Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. to the Ben Jarofsky oh, show. Man. Mr. Jarofsky. Man, take us to the weekend. You know, I love that song. <laughs> That's Kelly Cassidy on the keyboards, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> when she's not passing reefer legislation, she's play, playing the keyboard. She's good. Oh, she's really good. Multi-talented wow. after all. KC in the sunshine. Talking band. and playing. <laughs> At the same time. Actually, it's not Kelly Cassidy. I just love, I always forget that he's going to play it, Kelly, and I love that. I don't know where he found it. He found it somewhere in a street corner. <laughs> Just in the music library. All right, we uh, forced uh, Emily Miller and Kelly Cassidy to stick around uh, for a bonus uh, 10 minutes or so because I'm utterly obsessed with fair tax. And- Me too. <laughs> it's funny you'd say that. Yeah, man, Emily Miller and I had like a 12 conversations about it in the year 2000. Emily, let's come on and let's talk some more fair tax. Um, all right, so you you did it a little bit of this, Emily, uh, before we went to the break, talking about what exactly has to happen before these new rates are implemented. Yeah. And it's not easy. It's not as easy as uh, Michael Madigan ordering this one to do that. Oh, I know he never orders anybody to do anything. Uh, or John Cullerton twisting arms to get him to uh, vote this way or that way. Uh, just explain to folks what has to happen before the fair tax is implemented. Sure. So this first part is entirely legislatively controlled in mm-hmm. terms that it, it has to pass both chambers with a supermajority. Mm-hmm. It does not go to the governor because supermajority means what? Uh, 71 in the House mm-hmm. and 36 in the Senate. Got it. Um, that would have been really embarrassing if I got that wrong. That's all right. After You're all good at math. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Budget guru yeah. forgets numbers. <laughs> um, so that has to happen. And then at that point, it goes to the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, where either a majority of the people voting on the question or 60% total right. have That's to... very weird. Right, it's, yeah. it's a high bar. Yeah. It's a high bar, and you have to... Wait, say that again. A majority or 60%? You already lost me on that it's, one. It, because there's a difference between people who vote generally and people who vote specifically on that question. I see. I got you. Okay. There will be election attorneys involved. Oh, but <laughs> on both sides. I'm not one of them. <laughs> They're the only ones who are going to benefit from the fair tax. <laughs> Casper. Ah, Michael Casper. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. But this, So this is going to be a long process. There's a lot of education that's going to go into this. So mm-hmm. this past you know the the fair tax passing the legislature to go onto the ballot is just the first step we have to educate um, taxpayers and and stakeholders across the state until November of 2020 when that election happens so that they really understand what's going to happen 
why why is this such an important thing for this state and so it's our responsibility to lay out what the what the, the other options are you know which i said you know we can cut everything or we can raise everybody's taxes we we have to restabilize and this is the way that that we do that so just to be clear the first budget uh that uh, passes in the next month or so two months or whatever it is uh presuming that pritzker's different than Rauner and he actually passes a budget that first budget will not be uh, a fair tax budget it will have the old uh regular old flat tax budget correct correct just so everybody understands that okay uh, all right so kelly cassidy you, you laid out the numbers 71 pro votes in the house uh, 36 in the Senate. Thank you, Emily Miller, for that brilliant mathematics. Uh, <laughs> to get it on the ballot from November 2020. Man, things are never easy, okay, explaining right. politics. Exactly. All right, so you need 71 votes. Yeah. In your humble opinion, Kelly Cassidy, do those 71 votes currently exist in the House? Why have a super, super majority if you're not going to use it? We have 74 Democrats. And most of them, one, talking about the need to, to fundamentally change our tax structure. Um, I know it's a scary vote, and, and that's where I go back to, you know, having those conversations now with our constituents, getting them ready for this, making sure they understand what we're really doing. And to Emily's point, you know, most of my constituents think that that vote's it, we're done, and then magically, you know, the, the, <laughs> yeah, the, no. the, the new tax structure is in place. So I, I frequently have to do the, this is a multi-step process. Um, and then back to the fact that those of us who have this, the, the, the luxury of a safe district for a vote like that have to make sure that we're there to support the, the folks that, that need the backup. Um, and, you know, I. I've, I've killed many a car doing that, and I'm ready to kill the one I'm driving now. Well, um, my dear friend, Michael Joseph Madigan, not really my dear friend, I just like saying that, um, has always been real cagey when it comes to these votes. Kelly, you know how he plays the game. So, yes, you have 74 uh, Democrats in the House, but his own math, uh, his own equation, his own formula as well, this one would get in trouble if he or she voted for anything that resembled a tax hike, mm -hmm. even if it's not really a tax hike. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to let that person ha get to vote no. I mean, he's he, he's a little more uh, lenient in how he lets his his uh, members of his caucus vote than, let's say, Rahm Emanuel is with Alderman in the Chicago City Council. So uh, that said, under the rules that have dictated this, this issue in the past in the General Assembly, do you still think you can get those 71 votes? We have 74. I And I think that, you know, the folks that, that, that powered this blue wave that got us to these supermajorities, that got J.B. Pritzker onto the second floor of the, st of the state house. they expect that we're going to fix this. Mm -hmm. They expect that this is one of the things that's going to happen. And I think if we fail to do that, then we failed them, and we'll pay. What about Republicans? Is there going to be any Republican that votes uh, for, at least to get it on the referendum, uh, get it on the ballot to, you know, get the voters an opportunity to weigh in on it? I hope so. That's, I mean, that's really not up to me right i mean if there aren't any republicans it won't be for lack of trying um you know when i get asked about the reproductive health act all the time do you expect to have republican votes that may be the very first bill i pass that doesn't have a bipartisan roll call um maybe this will be the second mm. wow yeah that's... i do want to point out though mm -hmm. there there are things about this um about the governor's proposal that are designed to to appeal to people who might otherwise not find it interesting. So for example, some of um, the representative's colleagues are are in districts that have 
extremely high property tax rates. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that that's built into this proposal um, is an increase in the property tax credit that people can take on their income taxes. Mm -hmm. So um, the governor's proposal bumps up that that uh, the credit that you receive on your on your income taxes from the amount of property tax that you pay. That money goes directly back to you, the homeowner. It does not rely on freezing property taxes, which local governments have found to uh, inhibit their ability to fund services the way that they want on a local level. We don't want to get involved with what those local politics are. We want to just put money back in the pockets of homeowners. And that's what increasing that property tax credit does. Um, there's also a child tax credit. Um, for the first time, the state of Illinois would have a child tax credit, which, which nationally we have, and a few states have done that as well. But that is a, a tax credit that's available to families who have children. It, it phases out as you get into higher income. So it's really targeted at those low and middle income families with kids who need a little bit extra. And really, those are the folks who, under this proposal, will see uh, a little bit more, a couple hundred dollars. That really means a lot. Um, if you're a low or middle income family, that couple hundred dollars may not seem like much to somebody else, but it does seem like a lot to them. So I, I would caution people before jumping on this idea that that amount of money doesn't matter. It matters. It matters to people. And that's where we get into the, that idea of those conversations, uh, that, that people have to be able to be informed about what's really happening in this proposal rather than what the Tribune says is happening. Huh. Uh, uh, the Tribune, yeah, the Tribune's editorial board, I should say. All right, yes, now. fair enough. Um, so... Kelly, last question then before we uh, head off uh, for the wild blue yonder of a weekend. Um, Mayor Rahm, at some point, uh, one of his farewell speeches said he believes that we should uh, have, uh, we should eradicate the language in the Constitution that protects the pension rights of pensioners uh, that's been upheld by the Supreme Court. And he says, we have, this is absolutely a fundamental thing we have to do. He was finding his inner rounder at that moment yeah. and uh, advocating that. As, of course, he's walking out the door so he doesn't have to bear the consequence for it. Um, I'm not saying that Mayor Rahm is going to lift a finger on that issue, but do you have some concerns if you start talking about opening up the Constitution to change the Constitution that two can play that game? And so uh, you could see a movement uh, from the Republicans to do what Rahm says and to uh, put it to the voters to eradicate the language that protects pension rights of uh, pensioners. Look, just because there's a process to do something that's morally wrong doesn't mean you should do it. A promise is a promise. <laughs> it's really that simple. Like, it's in the Constitution, but that's not the reason to keep it there. The reason to keep it there is that we made this promise to these workers. This is what they put their lives into. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a there, there's a process by which we can go back on that promise. It's wrong. So you're not afraid that by uh, oh, I don't up. like the idea of opening the Constitution generally. No, I mean I, I agree. You're right. Two can play at that game. You get down that road, and we've got people trying to reverse marriage equality. We've got people trying to attack choice. We've got you know you can pile on and have all sorts of stuff happen there. Um, but you know fundamentally, you know when to to that specific question, I'm opposed to it because it's wrong. All right, Emily Miller, before I let you guys go, any last thoughts, any last points you want to make before I let you head out? Uh, she's right. 
Uh, I kind of miss the old Emily Miller who had an opinion about everything. I do. I just stated it very clearly. She's correct. <laughs> All right. Very good. Emily Miller, always fun talking politics and budgets with you. And, of course, uh, Kelly Cassidy. I'll bring you both back. Uh, next time I'm going to have a driver come get you at your door, Kelly. Dude, it's just, I'm cursed. I, you know, you're in a new location that's supposed to be easier to get to, and then there's construction every step of the way. Oh, my God. You sound like Lori Lightfoot talking about how our city is just too uh, congested and too hard to get around. Uh, it's Kelly Cassidy, Emily Miller. I want to thank Ramana Hussein, the Ramana Rundown, a big popular. Uh, I'll get those t-shirts. Get ready. those t-shirts, man. <laughs> Ramana killed it today, as she always does. Uh, great show, great week of shows, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend who made it all possible. Oh, yeah. The pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. 618 is the area co. Did you know the ladies all love him for his body and his mind? Okay. That's the doctor. <laughs> it's from so a movie. Awkward. It's from a movie. No, it's from the super Bear Shuffle, the Super Bowl Shuffle. Emily knows what the Super Bowl <laughs> Shuffle is. <laughs> Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow. Oh, no. See you Tuesday, everybody. Take care. Hey, and remember, the Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by unions. Big thanks to the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor.